When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start our episode today, this is just a reminder, History Hack does have a Patreon account and all of your donations are gratefully appreciated. There's lots of perks on there, secret groups on Facebook. Do get involved. We would love to see more of you. Enjoy the episode today. Hello and welcome to another instalment of Down the Pub. Uh, we've been out here for 20 minutes already without you. Uh, some very interesting uh, confessions going on amongst our panel and our judges so far, none of which you're allowed to hear, but made us laugh muchly. Holmes, how are you doing? So you are rebelling. Your wife left the house, so you broke the rules with the heating. Is that right? I did. It's almost too hot in here. And if, if my laptop packs up halfway through recording, you probably know that's why, really. So she doesn't let you have it on, not during the day, and it's now like centre parks in your house, you said? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The cat hasn't moved for about four hours. Bear in mind, they're what, originally desert animals. It's too hot for him. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. You've proved your point, though. Well done. Uh, we have Beth with us. Hello, Beth. Hi, guys. How are you Hello. doing? Good. All good. Nice. Enjoying not being back at a nine-to-five job now that I have actually properly left. I'm gone. Done. And I get to do all my history. Hooray! What time did you get out of your pyjamas today? Uh, midday. Excellent. Wonderful. Living the dream. Uh, the peasant historian dream, that is. Uh, um, he's not living the dream because he has to fund all manner of personal staff and that in his palace is Clive. Hello, Clive. Hello, Alex. How's my favourite champagne socialist today? <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling you I don't drink champagne. It's green tea, please. Green tea socialist. How are you, lovely Clive? I'm very well indeed, thank you. Wonderful. Despairing about the state of our nation, but otherwise very well. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Uh, someone who was, because he was just walking home at night in Medway, was Chris. We watched that live. It was like the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just without all the good looks and charm. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, how many weeks left at work now, Chris? I, I don't know. Um, they haven't told me yet. Um, my manager has now told me I have to stay till mid-January. I told him as soon as you get my quote right, I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> so, just, <laughs> and then I'll buy everyone a drink. Excellent. How does it feel to have all this power? It's fantastic. I sat my feet up on the desk for five hours today and read stuff online. So it's great. Not that if anyone's listening from work, I was actually doing those security cards like I'm supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm listening from work. <laughs> Excellent. We have Charlie as well. Hello, Charlie. Hello. How are you doing? I'm better now. You taught me how to airbrush myself on Zoom. So there's a magic button that says, "Look, Beth looks shocked." Yeah, Beth. There's a button that says, 
touch up my experience. And what it does is just blur you a bit. Where is this? Your experience, <laughs> your appearance. <laughs> I could do with some touching up of my experience. One wiser than me said that diamonds are a girl's best friend, but I actually think it's probably Photoshop. Now, filters and Photoshop. Yeah. Excellent. We have with us Heather, who's literally just run in the room and looks slightly alarmed. How's Ohio? Ohio. I know that she won't ever, one day she's just going to go, shit. But she doesn't because her <laughs> mum listens. Uh, sorry, Joyce. Uh, Kate as well. Kate is here. Hello. How is Gibraltar? It's all right. It's rainy and cold and horrible. And I'm uh, I'm only half paying attention, I must confess, because I'm still cooking tea and um, organising my ship. It's all right. I'm here. Excellent. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, and we are thrilled today because we have a guest judge back who we love. He's probably he was at this point when he looks marginally alarmed. And I think, is he wondering what the fuck he's doing here with these? <laughs> uh, it's the lovely Simon London. Good evening. Good evening. Lovely to see you all. Good to, and you all, taken, look, you all look very well. Off, haven't you? I've done what? Sorry. You've taken the Spurs scarf off. I've taken the Spurs star- scarf off. Yeah, I have. Yeah, because we bullied Sorry you. about wearing that. Yeah. <laughs> we bullied you and made you cry. Indeed. And you've taken my lunch money. But apart from that. <clears throat> Although, can I just say, as much as I do love laughing at Spurs, I'm devastated that they've sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. For a minute, though, I was going to say he's not our manager. <laughs> if only. How, um, yeah, how no, much it's, fun it's, was that, just watching him amble around in conference? Oh, it's sad. It's sad that managers don't... I'm not going to go down this particular rabbit hole, but managers should... They, he's, he's got seven million quid. He'll be fine. Seven yeah. and a half million quid. He'll be fine. <laughs> Poor as him. So, Beth, I can tell just by looking at her, has just discovered that built button. Look at her grin. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing! <laughs> Uh, I'm like the best I've ever looked. <laughs> right, you lot. Uh, we are here today. We have convened to discuss the greatest actor of all time. Um, we had to have many conversations where I told you that we will do an actress one at some point, but it's sausage for <clears throat> Sony tonight. Because um, everybody started trying to be woke and go, well, I'm going to do this lady and this lady because I'm going to smash the patriarchy. No, you're not. You're all going to do as you're told for one. So, <laughs> it's a man. With man wits or someone who chooses to live as a man, you don't get to argue for it. If one, I would just about live with it if one of you decides to be really funny and pick Lassie. Um, but I don't <laughs> think you're going to win because, frankly, Holmes is a cat person. Uh, so, but also Lassie, Lassie has to be a, a lady dog, doesn't she? I, was Lassie a, a boy or a girl? Does anyone oh, know? Boy, a boy. Oh, really? Yeah. Quickly, Google. Lassie, I'll take your word for it. I mean, I've lived quite happily 49 years on this earth under the misapprehension. It was a lady, but there we go. Yeah, female, female. Yeah. No. Yeah. Sorry. Female, female, rough collie dog. I, I don't want to criticise <laughs> my. Today. I don't want to criticise my code, Jess, but I thought the showbiz was supposed to be his thing. Yeah. Shade, shade already. Shade I, already. I always thought I always thought that Lassie I mean, no way it's called Lassie but that's why I remember that it's counterintuitive Flipper's <laughs> a boy though right Flipper's a boy Flipper's a boy know. Uh, no I don't know about that Flipper has a boy Wellard is a boy <laughs> 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 the Heather's original not, Lassie in 1914 
What's that? The original Latin? Wikipedia yeah, says Lassie, was a fictional boy. female dog. No, it's based on a on a dog that saved a sailor's life from the HMS Formidable. Oh, boats again! <laughs> <laughs> In forty-eight hours, that comment's going to come back to haunt you, and I'm not going to tell you why. That's yeah. why I thought because what? it was played by a dog called Pal, and I love it when dogs actually like. Eddie was played by a dog called Moose, wasn't he, in Frasier? <laughs> and I love the idea that they don't just call the dog by its name, that it's actually name. it's actually got a name. So, yeah, Pal played Lassie, and that's why I always thought it was a boy. How many takes do you think they had to do where people were going, Lassie, Lassie, and it was like, fuck off, that's not my name. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I'm called. Uh, Simon, before we start... Yes. We've got we've got a nice a humble little gathering days. So we've got some time for some rabbit hole in. Did you say that apparently Charlton Heston reckoned he, he crowned himself as the purveyor of the most historical film roles, didn't he? Yes. Now a, a very quick anecdote, and I will be very quick. I was sent as a young researcher to interview Charlton Heston. He was over with his wife in uh, the West End doing um, a play, Love Letters, I think it was called. And um, I was working on the Des O'Connor show, and you had to interview the guests beforehand, do a pre-interview. Um, two things when I went through all the newspaper cuttings beforehand I saw the best headline ever when he was announced as um, uh, the head of the NRA and the headline was guns and Moses and then the second thing is <laughs> when I when I got there to interview him he'd said in all these interviews how he would um, if need be he would keep a gun under the bed and shoot any intruder and then he had an argument with his wife. He said, you wouldn't do that, Charlton. And then she was standing behind him, basically going, mouthing, he wouldn't do that to me whilst he was going on and on. Anyway, he did say um, very proudly, um, I said, what is it with you and historical figures? You seem to play a lot. And he said, play a lot? I'm in the Guinness Book of Records as the actor who's played the most historical figures. And just a quick look through the IMDb, and I can imagine that that is true. I, do we count biblical figures figures as historical? I guess we do. But even with his Count Richelieu's and his General Gordons and everything else, I think I think that's probably true. Um, we had an anecdote last week, Simon, that um, apparently he was the only person who wasn't told on the set of Ben Hur that his character was gay. I <laughs> <laughs> was Kit, right? Apparently. Um, Everybody else knew it and could see it, but they were like, yeah, just don't tell Charlton. Don't tell him. <laughs> find out. Fuck it. Just, no. I like that. They're just saying, okay, it's the chariot race now. If you just want to put on this uh, tight mesh T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just going to oil you up a bit for this scene. <laughs> and this baseball cap with boy written. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Charlton Heston, most historical figures and no gaydar whatsoever. Right. Okay. And thank you, Clive. Yes, best name dropping yet. I tell you yeah, who that... called me a name dropper. Marlon Brando often used to call me a name dropper, Clive. But <laughs> yeah. a whole other story. Should, should we have a little name dropping dick off? Who's the most famous actor you've ever met, Chris? Um. <laughs> Bob Holness. Bob. <laughs> he played Bond. He did first Bond. Clive. I once was asked by Vanessa Redgrave to go and feed a meter for her. I also once was made a cup of coffee by Cubby Broccoli. Not an actor, but still. Whoa, that's pretty good. Charlie? 
not an actor, but a musician. I got a text from an ex-boyfriend once saying, oh my God, I'm getting stoned with Hawkwind. And I didn't reply that I was in Berlin eating a curry with the cure. (laughs) (laughs) Heather, how many famous actors have you met in Ohio? Uh, None, but in Michigan, I met some. I met Lucy Lawless and Matt Smith. Awesome. Kate? Anyone in Gibraltar, apart from the Elvis looking like you were trying to find for that party the other day? Um, oh, my God, you put me on the spot. I can't think. Um, who have I met? I can't even think of anyone I've met. Um, oh, God. No, you put me on the spot. I can't think. But speaking of that lookalike, the party has only gone and been postponed to a date when I'm not even in the country. No. So you have to fly in Elvis and then you don't get to see him. No, well, it's not Elvis, actually. It's Marilyn Monroe. But, yeah, basically, I have to yeah, fly in. I was going to come and do that for you, Kate. <laughs> I have to fly in all these amazing acts. I have to organise this incredible party. Like, it's going to be amazing. And I don't get to see any of it. That's the upside of that is that I'm in Jordan with you, Alex. <laughs> We're going to be trekking in the desert and smelling really bad. We're doing Lawrence of Arabia style. Whoop, whoop. Yay, and I'm going to try not to think about Oscar statues and Marilyn Monroe's at all. Okay. Both those tours are sold out now. I'm very excited. Uh, we've got hotel rooms today. Uh-huh. Um, but no, famous actors, I don't think I've met any that famous, really. Holmes, you work in the business, or you have. <laughs> well, that's true, but I, I don't think I've ever met an actor, but I have had a piss next to David Kidd Jensen once. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. look. I did the gentlemanly thing. I didn't look. I bet neither of them were in a urinal either. (laughs) (laughs) Raising the bar. Um, Definite fangirling moment. Won't mean anything to you guys, but I met, um, I literally, quite literally bumped into Matthew Lewis, who played Neville Longbottom in the Harry Potter films. Um, Is that the guy that got really ripped after Harry Potter? He was really ugly. Yeah, and And I literally, I literally, I bumped into him and literally it was like, a solid wall. Um, walk, <laughs> was walking from, had been in Paris for a few days and had got the Eurostar back to St Pancras, was walking back to Euston to get home, literally bumped into him, was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, because I grew up with Harry Potter. And <laughs> I was on holiday with John and I was like, John, take a photo. <laughs> <Good luck again." laughs> oh, your husband must be so appreciative of being married to such a massive nerd. Uh, mine is well I've met Josh Hartnett which was very pleasant Uh, but Holmes you're forgetting you and I met Brian Blessed oh yes yeah yeah. and like predictably all I wanted to talk about was Robin and Prince of Thieves and he told me that he was supposed to be Little John but he had um, conflicting filming schedules which is why he was only um, Kevin Costner's dad in the end because that was all the time he had but he was supposed to be Little John, which is just devastating because that would have been awesome. And predictably, all Holmes wanted to talk to him about was Star Wars. Which was good. You know, I mean, admittedly, we had to talk about the worst bit of Star Wars, but it was still good. <laughs> it wasn't in episode two. <laughs> oh, episode hey. two. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's not go down that rabbit hole because Holmes and Chris will cry. Let's start. <laughs> let's let's see who you lot have brought to the party today. I'm going to start with. I'm going to flip everything else on its head today and start with Clive. 
jolly good. Well, my goodness me, what a topic we have this evening. And what could be closer to my heart than bigging up some overhyped, overpaid fest, only to wake up tomorrow to discover that they've been cancelled in the Me Too shitstorm on social media. Well, I've decided to take a different route, leave the giants of the 20th century, legendary names such as Danny Dyer and the chap who played Len Furcloth behind. <laughs> I toyed instead with the idea of John Wilkes Booth, but that might quite rightly have pissed off some of our transatlantic cousins. I thought of appeasing them with Ronald Reagan as certainly the most influential actor in history, but couldn't bring myself to actually watch any of his films. I dabbled for a while with the notion of the extra as a tribute to all those silent men and women who had scenery and authenticity to films and sometimes plays, but that would have been a little too Ricky Gervais for my liking. And so instead I settled on one actor whose legacy has lasted far longer than any of the glittering stars of Hollywood or the knights and dames of the English stage, David Garrick. Garrick's name lives on today more than 300 years after his birth. It attaches to a West End theatre and to a club frequented by lovers and Boris Johnson and his questionable cronies, and which is situated on the eponymous Garrick Lane, as well as to theatres around the English-speaking world in places where he almost certainly never trod the boards and pubs and locations as diverse as Stratford-upon-Avon, Belfast, Manchester and Milton Keynes. His legacy is, however, greater than that, for Garrick was the first person to develop a realistic, relaxed and natural manner of acting. Rather than proclaiming his lines in a bombastic style, he spoke naturally in a style which, as his biographer Alan Kendall says, would probably seem quite normal to us today. And yes, there it is. That's why he is undoubtedly the greatest and most important actor. And that is because he developed the style that other actors have adopted for almost 300 years. Without him, there would be no Gilgood, no Olivia, no Danny Dyer. Without him, no method acting of James Dean or Marlon Brando. He was the daddy of it all. David Garrett was born in 1717 in, of all strange places, a pub in Hereford. But this was before the SAS and other special forces took over the town. It was then a relatively remote market town. His family were descended from French Huguenots, and his father was a captain in the army who spent most of young David's childhood in Gibraltar. The family moved, presumably without his generally absent father, but with his six siblings, to Litchfield. Now, I have no idea where that is, but I am sure it's a fine town. There, Garrick attended the Litchfield Grammar School before moving to Samuel Johnson's Edial Hall. Edial Hall School was founded by Big Sam, and he taught Latin and Greek there. There were only three pupils, one of whom was Garrick. The school closed due to lack of funds after a year, but it's fair to assume that Garrick received some close personal attention from the great man. With the closure of the school, young Garrick headed for the bright lights of London, a city of which, following his mentor's advice, he never tired. In 1740, at the age of 23, he saw his first play and within a year had taken to the stage himself as a in a professional capacity. His first performance was under a pseudonym and was described as a gentleman who never appeared on any stage. 
None of that rather nonsense for him. See a play and go out and act. And this shows his brilliance because he saw what was wrong with how it was being done and broke the mould to do it better. And in so doing, set the standard for those who followed. I should add, in a nod to my deeply held wokeism, that his first anonymous appearance was in blackface. Something that today would, would preclude him from playing cricket for Yorkshire, but which, until a year or two ago, appears to have been almost a prerequisite for that role. Within a year, he was playing Richard III under his own name and to great acclaim across London. Arthur Murray said of that performance, On the very first night, a deep impression on the audience. His fame ran through the metropolis. The public went in crowds to see a young performer who came forth at once, a complete master of his art. He followed that masterpiece the same year with King Lear, then popped over to Dublin and was a wow as Hamlet. It was as Hamlet that he is best remembered. He was described as the most painted man in England, with countless portraits of him, both in and out of character. He was portrayed by, among others, Hogarth, Gainsborough and Reynolds. I mean, that's like having Warhol, Hockney and Roy Lichtenstein all paint portraits of you and some more besides. He remained at the top of his game for the next 35 years until, while working on a production of The Camp with Sheridan, no less, he caught an atrocious cold which forced his retirement and led to his premature death three years later. He was married for 30 years. His widow survived for another 35 years. They had no children. She is buried with him in Westminster Abbey. He was a director, producer and playwright, but he was not absolutely at the top of its game in any of those roles. He was, it was as an actor that he excelled and demonstrated his genius, and it is as an actor that he will always be remembered. He is credited not only with introducing realism to the actor's craft, but to revitalising Shakespeare and to ensuring the Bard's legacy. An anonymous rhymester wrote, To relish Shakespeare, read him o'er and o'er. See Garrick play him and he'll charm you more. The reverend historian Nicholas Tyndall heaped praise, heaped on the praise. The deaf hear him in his action and the blind see him in his voice. He was celebrated by his former teacher, Samuel Johnson. I am disappointed that stroke of death that has eclipsed the, ga the gaiety of nations and impoverished the stock of harmless pleasure. His profession made him rich and he made his profession respectable as well as Alexander Pope. Garrick never had his equal and never will have a rival. And if all of that was not good enough, he also pissed off Walpole, who wrote in terms that have been echoed down the centuries by politicians disclaiming the fame and popularity of performers over their own about his funeral and interment in Poets' Corner. I do think the pomp of Garrick's funeral perfectly ridiculous. It is confounding the immense space between pleasing talents and national services, pompous twat. I suppose Walpole nev was never invited onto the 18th century equivalent of I'm a celebrity. No, no Nadine Doris was our Walpole. The last word should go to the memorial to Garrick that appears at Westminster Abbey. To paint fair nature by divine command, a magic pencil and his glowing hand, a Shakespeare rose, then to expand his fame, Wider this breathing world a Garrick came. 
Though sunken death the forms the poet drew, the actor's genius bade him breathe anew. Though like the bard himself in night they lay, immortal Garrick called them back today, until eternity with power sublime shall mark the mortal hour of awry time. Shakespeare and Garrick, like twin stars, shall shine, and earth irradiate with a being divine. Well done, Clive. Wow, what a start. Um, not least because now Holmes has got to acknowledge that like, some of these actors predate film as well. Were you expecting that? No, but I, I'm, you know, I'm happy to acknowledge that. Obviously, we have, you know, we've got less to go on. I mean, yeah. Obviously, you know, <laughs> with, with Clive's, Clive's brilliant voices, it was like he'd come back to life 300 years later. So that was a help. But... <laughs> Any questions on Garrick? I couldn't quite get the Herefordshire accent in. <laughs> also, I mean, the only thing that I didn't like was Clive was quite dismissive of Litchfield, which is a fine Staffordshire town and one that I grew up near, very near. I, I wasn't being dismissive. I, I had no idea it was in Staffordshire. I just don't know where Litchfield is. And I didn't do geography. It's got it's, it's uh, the only British cathedral with three spires, you know. So next time you're doing something in Litchfield. Um, no, I, oh, I quite I've like... learned. I, I come on here to learn, Holmes. I come <laughs> on here to learn. I, I, I quite liked the principle behind it, actually, because, and don't all judge me on this, but I don't really like going to the theatre myself anyway, because I find there is a tendency for people to overact when you go to the theatre, which I find somewhat off-putting. <laughs> um, Charlie's going mental. Charlie, dare you, sir? Not in not in every performance, but I mean, I once went to. I thought when my son was little, I thought we'll go to the Jungle Book in the West End, right? Pay through the arse for it. It was the Rudyard Kipling version, not the Disney version, so we didn't even get the fucking songs. And then we were all bored shitless, and everyone was overacting, which became incredibly distracting. I mean, what's the name of the snake? Ra, is it? Sure. Car. Car. There was there ah. was some bloke right dressed in black, basically wiggling around the back end of the snake, and even he was overacting while he was doing that. <laughs> Seems a bit unfair to uh, attack that because you're not buying into the conceit of a dancing bear <laughs> <laughs> and a tricky tiger. Are you sure you I didn't love it? But had the snake broke out into song, all would have been forgiven. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah. <laughs> It was, but it was like it was really, really. It was one of the driest things I've ever sat through. And maybe I'm showing my my ignorance, but I, I think if what Clive's saying is that actually before Garrick, you know, they were even worse in terms of projection and overacting. Then I think that's probably a useful, a very useful contribution. Simon, do you want to kind of drag this back to some kind yeah, of I mean, I think, <laughs> appreciation? Uh, a couple of things. I think it's really great that you've done that you've done this because I think it's uh, interesting to see. I guess at the time that he would have been, um, the time that he would have been doing all this, Shakespeare would would have only been dead for about a hundred years in, at that time. So in a way, they're kind of doing the modern classics of the time. They wouldn't have seemed. Seemed like that. So it must have been quite exciting to instead of sort of uh, all those people, what they're called, the groundlings and things and people sort of standing in the rain to watch over long plays, to actually be able to sit down and see them, see somebody try and do them and make sense of them. I think is quite a brave, 
quite a brave thing. What made you pick him, Clive? Is, is this somebody that you'd you'd heard of or has inspired you? I thought you were going to ask him if he'd met him then, and I was like, <laughs> oh, shade. I know I'm old, but... <laughs> no, it's, it's because when you look at any modern-day actor or any 20th-century actor, they're good at, you know, something like... People rave about Cummerbunch, or whatever his name is, and he's good in some things, but he's absolutely he's been a lot of crap as well. And you get that with almost everybody. Judy Dench was in that awful um, romantic sitcom on the Sunday evenings on television. As time goes by, yes, that's the one. <laughs> I mean, that just you. But whereas with someone like him, he's safe. He's in the past. And he's respected by everybody, but he's also got a legacy. Who knows which of today's actors will have that legacy? Yeah, that's that's true. It'd be interesting to see who, I mean, possibly Olivia was the last person that we're naming or putting statues up to. So I think it's a I think it's good. I think it's a brave choice. Uh, with Judy Dench, I've got a feeling that Judy Dench always just plays Judy Dench. I've, I think I've only yeah. ever seen her take note, it back. Notes on a scandal where uh, where the other actress turned up and she was forced to actually do some acting and try and act one another off screen. It's probably her best thing. And I would also say, if you haven't seen it yet, I was lucky enough to see it. Um, uh, Cumberbund Bumberclart in Power of the Dog is, I think he'll probably get an Oscar for that. So if you do get a chance to go that's, and see that's that. That's the new Western. Yes, that's very that's, good. I, I, I like read this a choice. rave reviews of that. Oh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, it's up there with There Will Be Blood. Uh, I like this choice and I think uh, I think a strong start uh, like uh, like a couple opening strictly. Uh, you didn't show any first night nerves and I'm going to say a uh, good, strong choice. Thank you, Clyde. Oh, thank you. I, the sequins wants... were hand sewn as well. <laughs> Just a couple of things. If someone wants to buy me a statue of Chris Hemsworth, I wouldn't say no. <laughs> playing. Uh, there's a lot of uh, all of the females in the room except Heather are agreeing with me and I think even Chris agree with me a little bit there as well Heather's just broken my childhood Heather, the guy who voiced the evil snake in the Jungle Book is also Winnie the Pooh Yeah, I, I realised that one day checked it out and it broke me a little bit because now whenever I see Winnie the Pooh and listen, all I can see is Kyle the Snake and it just throws everything off it's like in that same film, isn't there? There's um, uh, Baloo, the bear. Is all he also the actor also voices um O'Malley in the Aristocats and something in Robin Hood as well. Little John. Mm-hmm. Little John, that's it. Yeah, Little John. But Card did it for me. I was like, wait a minute, that's oh god, <laughs> no. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh just died in front of me. Um, no. Home, I've decided what your Christmas present's going to be. Go I'm going to get you, you and me are going to see that fecking musical about the Tudors. Or is it sick? <laughs> oh, sick. <laughs> but we'll commentate on it. We'll get seats at the back and we'll broadcast our reaction live <laughs> from the theatre on History Act. <laughs> Deal? Can I come with you? Yeah, we're going to need someone to bail us out afterwards, I think. I know every single word to it, so um, I can annoy the shit out of Holmes from the other side by singing and dancing to the whole thing. Outstanding. Look at him. He actually looks like he wants to weep. (laughs) (laughs) I got your tears of happiness. Um, Okay, let's do one more, and then I've got a question for everybody uh, regarding cancel culture. Uh, Heather, go for it. 
Who have you picked after I rained on, I, I pissed on your parade and wouldn't let you do Angela Lansbury? She'll, she'll get her day. Okay, I decided that Sydney Poitier is going to get my pick. Okay. So, um, um, first off, he's an actor, film director, activist, and ambassador. And to me, he's always just been the classiest guy. So, he was born in Miami to a Bahamian, Bahamian family, excuse me. And in uh, February 20th, 1927, and since he was born in Miami, it made him an American citizen as well as a British citizen because at the time, Bahamas were a British colony. He grew up in the Bahamas, but moved back to Miami when he was 15 in New York a year later. And once in New York, he joined the American, North American Negro Theater. In 1955, he landed his breakthrough role in the Blackboard Jungle as a student. He received a nomination for the Best Actor for the Defiant Ones in 1958, which was the first for a Black actor. He actually won a BAFTA for the role. He also won an Academy Award and a and Golden Globe Award for Best Actor for Lilies of the Field, received acclaim for Porgy and Bess, A Raising the Sun, and A Patch of Blue. He starred in To Sir With Love, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and In the Heat of the Night, Paris Blues, all of which dealt with the issues of race and race relations. He earned a Golden Globe and a BAFTA for In the Heat of the Night, which ended up spawning a couple of TV shows um, from that. He was nominated twice for Academy Award and won once, had six BAFTA nominations and one win, 10 Golden Globe nominations with two wins, two Grammy nominations with one win, two Primetime Emmy nominations, two Screen Actor Guild Award nom nominations, was given the Knight Commander of the Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth II in 1974, received the Golden Globe Cecil B. DeMille Award in 1982, received the Kennedy Center Honor in 95, um, was the recipient of the Screen Actor Guild Life Achievement Award in 2000, as well as in the Academy Honorary, Honorary Award in 2002 in recognition of his remarkable accomplishments as an, actor, as an actor, artist, and a human being. He also received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest civilian honor in the United States in 2009, received a BAFTA Fellowship for Outstanding Lifetime Achievement in Film in 2016. Um, as a director, he directed several films, including Buck and the Preacher, A Warm December, Uptown Saturday Night, Let's Do It Again, A Piece of Action, Ghost Dad, Fast Forward, and Stir Crazy, which for a long time was one of the highest grossing film by a per person of African descent. Um, I chose him because he wanted to set an example with his characters and challenge stereotypes and the mindset of the times. Many of the, the uh, movies that he did dealt with very important issues and the fact that he had to work twice as hard as any other artist and actor to receive parts and to be taken seriously. I just think he has, he's just great. Well done. A very good choice and a very worthy choice. I'm actually really pleased that, like, we haven't just gone, everybody hasn't gone down the fuckwit route of finding something hilarious and is actually doing proper actors that are sort of worthy <coughs> of being considered for this. Simon, what do you make of this one? Although I have to say, in the style of Only Fools and Horses, it ain't Poitier, it's Potter, according to Grandad. Do you remember that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> First ever conversation on Only Fools and Horses. It's Sydney Poitier, Potter. <laughs> <laughs> um a uh, great choice great choice uh, i mean it's hard to believe that, that he's 94 95 um 
you know, uh, here's a guy who must have lived through so much history. I was doing a talk the other day to people about uh, about people identif- self-identification and how people moan and say, oh, I can't keep up with people these days. It used to be poofs and now it's quiz and I can't say anything, blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to point out that in Obama's lifestyle, in Obama's lifetime, he'd been Negro, coloured, black, African-American and person of colour. And that just uh, terms change all the time as people get more and more agency and are allowed to call themselves what they like. And this is somebody who would have lived through just so much history and is still seen as um, is still seen by pretty much everybody as uh sort of a beacon of the, the the best part of American cinema and also of the craft of acting. And I love the fact that he started off. I did, I never realized, of course, that he was a British citizen because of it, the Bahamas link, but that makes perfect sense of him sort of starring into Sir with love. And uh, I think it was the backboard jungle as well, where, Obviously, he had that. He's always had that connection with. Uh, he's always had that connection with England. And what I love about uh, Sidney Potier is that he's one of these people who has always sort of reached out his hand and brought along other people as well. And I think I know for certain that Denzel Washington and both uh, Chadwick Boseman have cited him as somebody who he's been a mentor for throughout that time. And he's been able to do that brilliant thing of play uh, historical roles and roles about sort of the changing nature of African-Americans in uh, in America, but also play just, I don't know whether you're, any of you are familiar with the film Sneakers, uh, which is uh, River Phoenix and Robert Redford and David Strathairn. And then these guys who all play computer hackers who sort of get embroiled in a really big heist but he's got great comic timing as well. And he's not just cast because he's a worthy, because it's the worthy casting. He's a guy who actually can act and he, he can play pretty much any role you want to throw him in, whether it's dramatic, straight or comedic. Um, so yeah, he's not one of those kind of showy actors. And because of the times, I think he wasn't, he, he was never going to be, uh, we talked about Charlton Heston earlier. He's never going to be the Charlton Heston or the Kirk Douglas or one of those characters leading um, a big uh, American Hollywood blockbuster. But he's always been dependable. He's always been good. And he's still, I think, um, I still think he's he's an icon. You know, they say that you're an icon when you can just say, uh, when you can just be called by one name. And if anybody says Poitier, everybody knows who he is. So I think it's a great choice. Good, strong choice. Absolutely. Although I always still want to go, Potter, after you say it. Uh, (laughs) Holmes, what do you make of this one? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be struggling tonight anyway, so it's a good job that Simon's with us. But I'm a bit like David Garrick, and I don't think I've ever seen anything that he was in. And uh, while Heather was speaking, I was was scrolling through Wikipedia, and I was just like, there's nothing there that I've seen. But he does sound like a nice man and a positive influence. I did pick up the fact that, not only was it a sort of actor and activist, but he was also the uh, ambassador to Japan for a number of years, which is probably the only the only actor ambassador we're going to get tonight, aren't we? That must be. 
Must be indeed. I really like this one. Um, I think this is a great choice. I think it's with a great shout. So the question I wanted to ask all of you guys, and Charlie's actually already referenced it, which of all the people that have been cancelled recently, because it turns out they were massive assholes, which one has really broken you? Um, mine was Kevin Spacey, because it was like, oh. And also, apparently, um, who's the guy in uh, Are You Being Served? I'm free. Uh, apparently him as well. Although, to be fair to him, his family are most upset and hurt that this stuff came out like 20 years after he died and it's one person and they vehemently refute it. But yeah, I don't think there's any refuting Mr. Spacey, is there, Charlie? It's, do you know what? I mean, this is something that, that may come up in some of the people we're discussing. We're not, not expecting people to be perfect actors, least so amongst these people, perhaps. But with Kevin Spacey, it was just this sort of horrible feeling of, he has so completely fucked his own career now that we won't get to see his leer. And we are, and, and he ruined, he ruined the last season of House of Cards for me. Because oh, if we, if we were yeah. doing Greatest Presidents, I was so annoyed you wouldn't let me have Frank Underwood. Because yeah. I would have Underwood. Yeah, I time. was midway through watching House of Cards um, a few months ago when I found out he'd been cancelled. I don't know where I was when it actually yeah. happened. But yeah, I, to the point where, even though he is a spectacular actor. Oh my God, none of us could have chosen him tonight, could we? Who else has been cancelled? Beth, you've got one. AK Rowling. Oh yeah, she's not doing very well either, is she? No. Yeah. Which, as someone who grew up in a world of, like literally, I remember going, it's literally 20 years since the first Harry Potter film came out. Um, I just read first, his first book came out in 97. When I went to see the films, I was... <laughs> I will do this to you all. I was eight years old when the first film came out. Um, and I went to see it in my little Hermione like outfit and like I dressed up and all for the occasion. And like it, it's heartbreaking because I grew up with that series. And it was always about everyone was, you know, the parallels as you get older, you draw the parallels of like, well, it's you're talking about fascism, communism, like, you know, the the treating, how people were treated, and you've got like um, muggles and being treated like you know you know these parallels from his world history and then for her to just be cancelled in the way that she has when the Harry Potter fandom is one that includes everyone and then she just ignores a huge section of her fandom in the way that she has really broke my heart anyone else who else has been cancelled Clive oh for me myself um yeah. no, I was really sad when Gary Glitter went because loved his songs and it was just so sad you can't play them anymore. Yeah. Also, Rolf Harris, Two Little Boys, soundtrack of my childhood. Yeah, there's some of them are just, oh, Charlie? I've, I, yeah, another one and nothing, nothing has officially been proven or anything, but I feel really like I'm coming out to people when I tell them I like Woody Allen films. I'm like, you're not, are, you, are we allowed has he been cancelled? Has he not been cancelled? He's still making films, but you almost feel like you have to sort of preface it with, you know, maybe he's not a great example of a human, but I laugh at his movies. It's like, okay, does that make me an asshole? I, I don't know. Yes. Damn it. <laughs> no, Where do we stand on this? I yeah. just, uh, uh, but, but also, do we not need to be careful about this term like cancelled? As in, they're just reaping the consequences of what they've sown, aren't they, really? There doesn't need to be a special you know, collective noun for, you know, all yeah. of them, like they're awesome sort of, you know, it sort of lessens it in a way, really. I mean, I guess 
with with some of them, if I guess if you're with a particular character and you end up earning lots of money and producing stuff and or you're a major name, then you know you, you, you sort of I'm, become I'm it, bit... the sort the sort of power sort of corrupts and people are too frightened to have a, a word with you because whether you're a big name and things like that. I think it's more of that. I think they stop treating this as a job and then it's they undergo a personality change as well. Really, the whole cancellation thing. What was happening in the 50s with McCarthy? He was cancelling people all over the shop. No one objected then. It's only when, you know, people who McCarthy would have supported are being cancelled that <laughs> they get upset. But also, it's not, you know, you're just being called out for what you've done. That's all it is, isn't it? You know. Mm-hmm. But are you being called out for what you've done? Because I, I mean, when you kind of went to go around the room, I know I'm slightly distracted and, and have no video on and stuff. But um, the one that immediately sprang to mind for me was Johnny Depp. Um, I love him. I love him in almost every oh. film he's ever done. I can't think of a bad one. I love him. But I don't... He's been cancelled. He comes up if you... You know, he's he's considered cancelled. But he, there are so many people in the world that don't believe that he's done what he's accused of. So... Oh, he, uh, I, I, I think, he, it, I think he? he probably has, but she's just as bad as he is. I mean, there's... Is there not a little semblance of as well? Mr. Depp, she's half your age and she used to be a lesbian. I'm pretty sure that there was no other motivation there other than getting cash out of you at some point down the line. You should have known. Yeah, I mean, he was a fool. (laughs) He was led by his dick and he was a fool. But for her to take a shit in his bed and then accuse him of beating her up, it's disgusting. Well, you've got Brad Pitt was accused of some pretty nasty stuff in that divorce, wasn't he, as well? And it's just like there is there comes a point when um I mean, it's not really providing no, I don't know, like providing the laws have been broken, but are we going to go back 20 years to a, a row that we once had somewhere down the line, Holmes, and I'm going to I'm gonna try and get you cancelled because you once made a joke about, I don't know, gingers or something. It just, the world's gone mad. Go on, Charlie. I thought you were going to say that I shat in your bed, which I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> we should we get the lawyers on quick. Hey, what happens on the SOM stays on the SOM, right? yeah, yeah. No, the question is where you where you're prepared to join the line, draw the line between art and artist. So the biggest cancellation of the last few years, and the one who started the Me Too movement was Harvey Weinstein. Uh-huh. If you're going to say I'm never going to watch a film that that man was involved in, you're going to cancel so much art and so many movies. And we haven't done that because he's not visible on screen. We've not done that. We've not said you can't watch Pulp Fiction anymore. I mean, Quentin Tarantino and his foot fetish isn't exactly a, a well-kept secret, but you know, we, we still watch the films that he made. And I don't know if, if his family profit from them, they probably do, but it's because he's behind the scenes that we, we, don't sort of cancel the art we've cancelled the person but not the art and this is where I where I find the line tricky is where we're saying you know for example Kevin Spacey's not going to make another film but does that mean I can't watch The Usual Suspects or American Beauty and enjoy them or re-watch House of Cards again because I'm or pretty much and see something to the old Vic and appreciate all the work he put in exactly because um, the film is not London's one person. it's yeah. not one person there's a lot of other creative people involved in that so you cancel cancel American Beauty you cancel Lynette Benning you know it's I mean are you I, 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 I would, I would recommend- that it's okay that 
oh, I live with the fact that we'll never get to see Kevin Spacey do anything decent again, but mm-hmm. cancelling everything he ever did isn't fair on all the other people involved. I would strongly recommend watching the English original version of House of Cards, which is so, so much better than the American version. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I'd say it's different. It's, uh, it's definitely brilliant. Uh, I'm not sure that it's better. I like the way that they... They adapted, and <clears throat> when I was interviewing Michael Dobbs last year to ask him about it, name drop, name drop. He was very. I think that the the only, the only thing I can say about cancellation is I'm I'm with you, Charlotte. I was still listening to Michael Jackson. Um, I'll still watch Woody Allen, and I do have to uh, separate the art from the artist. And also, I don't know whether. I ever have enough information uh, for the nuance. All the cancellation seems to take place in on social media, media, and I don't know whether there's enough nuance there for me to be able to kind of. It is. It is basically mob and witch hunts and all the rest of it. Yes, some people definitely need to uh, possibly not work again or not be near certain people or not be near vulnerable people, but. Um, just looking at some of the people who can come out that that Johnny Depp Amber Heard is a relationship toxic as toxic can be and they probably both deserve one another in in some ways but you know that that somebody can lose their livelihood out of it I think is very very sad but there you go okay let's let's move on and have another one let's have let's do chris chris who have you gone for how have you managed to shoehorn in the wilhelmine german navy into a discussion about actors um i've been very clever with this and i haven't at all wow you learned your lesson the last week um no No, I just I just couldn't think of any um, famous German actors that, any, that would uh, stand any chance. So, um, <clears throat> sorry, just been eating chips. Uh, right. So, uh, while I was trying to think of an actor um, who could be described as the greatest actor of all time, I did immediately think of Tom Hanks, but um, Charlie reacted quite violently to that, and I thought, well, okay, maybe not. Um, <laughs> and then I thought, well, they should really be dead. So, otherwise, you can't redo really people who are alive. Um, so I tried to think about my favourite movies, and so I thought of Peter Cushing and Alec Guinness. And so, I, but then I thought I just can't do Star Wars actors. I saw Beth's choice. Well, yeah. And then I saw Beth's choice, and I thought there is only one decent wizard in the in the Lord of the Rings, and you know, it's the, the, he is the White Wizard, and it's Saruman because it's Christopher Lee, and he's a Sith Lord, so he does come from Star Wars, and Sith Lords can be X Men. So Christopher Lee. <laughs> is, is um, one of the most iconic actors of all time. Um, and he's acted for over 60 years and, until he died. And um, he's had many varied roles, although um, many will say that he was typecast um, in a way, but he did try to escape it, whereas his contemporaries and friends, uh, Vincent Price and Peter Cushing, could not. Um, he served in the RAF. I'm not going to do too much for biography because um, it doesn't really affect his acting, but he served in the RAF and the SOE during World War II as well as some post-war Nazi hunting, which is always good. Um, and he turned to, turned to a new career, having deciding he didn't want to go back to Beecham's, where he'd worked before the war. Uh, he spoke to his cousin, who originally told him he was too tall for acting. He was uh, about six foot five. And although his, though his cousin was able to get him a contract for seven years, and he spent a lot of time studying and watching and listening, so that when his time came, he would be ready. 
his early roles, including starring opposite Laurence Olivier in Hamlet as a spear carrier, uh, in Horatio Hornblower as a Spanish captain, and uh, Cuo Vidas as a chariot racer. He, he fell off and was injured. Um, but before he joined the British National Studios, where he made over 30 movies in 10 years, mostly playing action roles such as Lieutenant Commander Dick Rakes in uh, The Cockle Shell Heroes, and uh, also the Impressionist painter, painter Georges Seurat in uh, John Huston's Moulin Rouge. I don't believe there's any singing in that. Um, he's also perhaps best known, though, for his hammer horror roles, uh, with his first being um, with Peter Cushing as Frankenstein's monster before going on to play his most iconic role of Dracula, a role that he would uh, reprise six times for Hammer Horror and seven times, um, did a total of ten times overall. Um, that he said that his first casting was basically, they phoned him up and said, uh, do you want, um, they asked me if I wanted the part, and I said, yes, and that was that. He would also play opposite Boris Karloff in Corridors of Blood as, as, as the criminal Resurrection Joe. Um, though Dracula was his most acclaimed, with Empire Magazine, among others, uh, heaping on plaudits upon his characterization of Stoker's original work. Quote, unquote, he is hypnotic, physically powerful, well-spoken. I've left out the bit about him making Dracula look, look like a sex pest. Um, he, was, uh, he was so good at Dracula that Hammer, Hammer forced him into making the sequels until they had milked the, cash, the franchise dry. So my, um, and... He recalled that one of the conversations, at least one conversation with the studio went along the lines of, and I'm roughly paraphrasing him, was, forget it. I don't want to do another one. I don't want to do it. And I don't have to. And they would reply with, no, you have to, because I've already sold the American, sold it to the American distributors with you playing Dracula. You have to do it. Otherwise, all the people that you know, all your friends that you've worked with, they're going to be out of work. So he felt emotionally blackmailed into doing another six movies. As Dracula, one of them in which the dialogue was so bad, apparently he just hissed all the way through and refused to say anything. Um, he would also play Henry Baskerville in The Hound of the Baskervilles with Cushing as Sherlock. He would later then play Holmes himself and finally Mo Mycroft Holmes, Sherlock's clever uh, brother. Other roles included The Mummy, uh, Count, Count Rochefort in The uh, Four Musketeers and Rasputin. And I know it sounds like I'm listing history and horror's greatest villains, but the great, but as the great man said, quoting Anthony Hopkins, "I don't play villains; I play characters." Lee was one of three names put forward for to play Doctor Loomis in Halloween, um, but he turned it down, and Donald Pleasant's got it. He was set to play um, his step cousin's um, villain in his in his step cousin's um, uh, spy movie, uh, Doctor No, but uh, the studio cast someone else. Uh, he would later go on to play Scaramanga in The Man with the Golden Gun, changing the character completely from the source material and playing him literally as the dark side of Bond, which, having read that and having it was possibly my favourite Bond movie, really does play out that he has all the sort of panache and style and culture of, of Bond, but is much more free with the evil. And who could play better, anyone evil better than Christopher Lee? Uh, um, he also turned down turned down the role of, um, in Airplane that Leslie Nielsen had, which I find that would have been even funnier if it had been Christopher Lee. So it's just not his, his kind of thing. He, he also lamented that later in his career, along with Halloween, as some of his great mistakes that he wished he'd applied for. He also accidentally appeared in a pornographic movie. I know, accidentally. Um, he was asked to play, asked to be a narrator in Jess Franco's Eugenie, based on Dessard's uh, philosophy in the bedroom. 
And he said that when he arrived and stood on the, at the end of the stage, everyone was fully clothed. He read his lines, he left, and then was later told that it was an adult, that he'd been in a porno. So he, he, he snuck down to Soho to watch the, the film and was most disgusted and spent a lot of time arguing with the studio. Um, he also brought, he is also one of the driving forces that actually brought us the cult classic movie, The Wicker Man, because he actually bought the rights with the producer and made, and made it happen. Otherwise it wasn't gonna get made. And he, he was so believed in the project that he actually acted for free, which not many people do these days. Um, this is where I've gone from my typing to what I wrote on the train. So uh, he then moved to Hollywood in 1977 to get away from typecasting and uh, even hosted Saturday Night Live. Uh, going into the 2000s, he played, uh, uh, he played uh, Sanson, the French executioner. Um, but he, he'll be more remembered by people sort of my, well, say my age, uh, people younger than me, so uh, Beth, um, for playing key roles in such movies as Lord of the Rings, as Saruman. He read Lord, he was the only member of the cast to actually meet Tolkien. I, I don't think it was a prerequisite to making the movie. Um, and he read the book every year. He, or he was able to give uh, Peter Jackson hints and tips. He was actually down to play Gandalf, but he said he wasn't physically able to uh, ride a horse anymore. And so Saruman meant a lot more sitting. Um, his screen presence is undeniably good. And possibly the grimmest thing about it was um, at the, in the special edition of uh, Return of the King, he gets stabbed in the back. And he said to the direct, uh, the direct uh, Peter Jackson said, right, and when you get stabbed, you make this noise. Christopher Lee didn't even skip a beat. He just looked at him and said, my dear fellow, that is not the sound that a man makes when he is stabbed in the back. He sounds like this. Might have something to do to his, with his SOE, SOE training. Um, he also then went on to play uh, Count Dooku in Star Wars, um, where he did all his own fencing work and lightsaber work up until the bits where he had to look energetic and they had to get a younger, younger stand in. Um, he has appeared in at least five Tim Burton movies, including singing in um, uh, uh, Sweeney Todd, which unfortunately that scene was cut. Uh, terrifyingly so in Sleepy Hollow, and even more terrifyingly, the most scary person on the planet, a dentist in uh, Willy Wonka. Um, he also fronted a thrash metal opera on the, on the history of Charlemagne, which he wrote himself. He spoke several languages, including um, French, Spanish, Italian, German, some Greek, some Swedish, and some Russian and did his own voiceover work in uh, German and other languages for computer games, audiobooks, cartoons, and other movies and stuff, and was finally knighted um, as uh, in that year uh, as uh, Christopher Lee for uh, things for uh, services to horror. He's been a phenomenal actor. Everyone must have seen at least one Christopher Lee film, and his literally his screen presence cannot be denied at six foot. I think Johnny Depp was quoted as saying in the scene from Sleepy Hollow where they're, they're having the trial, he said he sat, he stood there and he looked up and Dracula was shouting at him. And he said oh, he, it was just, he was just in awe of how awesome Christopher Lee was. He, he's just an unstoppable screen presence and uh, much uh, undervalued. Well done. Um, do, you know, do you want me to, should I do my name drop? Uh, so sure. I was doing some war stuff at his old school and I was talking to uh, the master there that is particularly interested in the school's military history and stuff. And he had managed to get hold of Christopher Lee to talk to him about some of the guys that were killed in World War II. 
um, when they were at school together. And he said, uh, it, and they went around in circles for ages because he was always busy. Um, and eventually it was like, it was done on the phone. He managed to get him on the phone. And he said, he talks exactly like Dracula. It's like, he literally, so he said to him, hello, is that Mr. Lee? He went, yes, it is me. <laughs> uh, he did actually talk like that all the time. He could the whole conversation as well. It was basically like being on the phone with Dracula, which is awesome. Holmes <laughs> must have seen, well, you've seen Star Wars. Have you seen anything else with Christopher Lee in it? Yes, I've seen The Wicker Man, which I like. I've seen the um, Lord of the Rings ones. I mean, I think I've seen flashes of the sort of Hammer House of Horror ones when I was growing up, but they, they're sort of just hazy, hazy distant memories rather than anything. And I, I mean, I, I like him. I think you just sort of get, you just sort of get Christopher Lee. He always comes across, you always think, you always sort of know you're watching Christopher Lee. That's that's the issue. He's very good at what he does, but I mean, you know, count the, the the bits that I'm more familiar, the films that I'm more familiar with, is Lord of the Rings ones and Attack of the Clones, and he could be playing the same character in either, really, <laughs> in terms of you know, if if the appearance is different in the way that he delivers the lines, and he, I'm not saying that I think he's bad, but it's just so noticeably Christopher Lee that you know you're watching him, which I think. Um, could be a distraction, but I did read his autobiography once and he came across as a lovely bloke and I've got a lot of respect for the guy. Indeed. Simon, did you meet him? Yeah, I'm, uh, I kind of echo uh, a, a lot of what was just said. I, I really like Christopher Lee. He's one of those people that there isn't really a whiff of any controversy around and you kind of see how, how long his career was. And you'd expect him to be sort of a, there to be a few skeletons in in his in his cupboard. Uh, I, uh, I I sort of think of Christopher Lee in the same way as that. If you think of his uh, the roles, if you think of Dracula, Scaramanga, uh, Count Dooku's, uh and I've forgotten the name of the Lord uh, Fair Isle, is it in uh, the Wicker Man? Summer Isle. Summer Isle. All those Pharaohs are jumper, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> all those, all those uh, uh, roles. He's exactly the same. In you could literally pluck, pull him out of the film, put him into the other one, and so I think that kind of calling him an he—he's not really—he—he he was never really an actor. He was—he was—he was somebody who spoke the lines and hit his marks incredibly well. That said, sort of hearing about his job and everything else, and. Uh, just his war record, he just seems like a thoroughly decent bloke. And I mean, kind of sort of applaud the fact that, you know, for quite a few actors, the idea of doing a Bond film or a, or a, a fantasy film, the Hammer films or the Star Wars films, he, it's not that he wasn't picky or wasn't choosy. He obviously was because he turned the stuff down, but he just seems to be somebody who says, if it sounds a bit like fun, if I get to, if I think I'll enjoy it, then then that's what I'll do. If we kind of take both him and Poitier and put them side by side, I sort of think that Poitier trumps Lee in the fact that if you think of everything that Poitier had to do to get to where he was and the obstacles he had to overcome, for Lee, who kind of went to Wellington and then was just given a commission in the army and then the RAF and not sort of taking away from his war record. He, I think it, I was just looking, he caught malaria six times in a year. You know, he obviously suffered and everything else, but here was somebody who just missed out on going to Eton and instead had to go to Wellington and, and everything else. So I think that the acting to him was something that he loved, but he could have, he was from a family where he could have actually done anything and, 
uh, and so probably it's hard to kind of think of him as somebody who uh, struggled against the odds to get to where he was. But uh, an interesting choice and probably somebody who could rival uh, Charlton Heston for the amount of historical characters played, I would have thought. Uh, indeed. And now this has sparked a mini debate in the chat about the fact that Heather's second choice was Boris Karloff. And Charlie, who are you wishing you'd now picked? I'd have gone for Bella Lugosi, best Dracula ever. The children of the night. <laughs> That's my Bella Lugosi impression, which is actually brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> right. OK, moving on from Draculas uh, and wizards and stuff. Let's go to let's have Kate. Hello. <laughs> I, I am concentrating I promise I'm, I'm completely here now um, so when I tell you which actor I'm pitching for tonight I have a feeling some of you might dismiss him all I ask is that you don't be too quick to judge he was knighted for services to acting and comedy in 2005 Christopher Lee wasn't knighted until 2009 and my choice topped the viewer poll of TV's greatest stars in 2006. He's won four BAFTAs and at least a further 14 other various awards. Perfect. While he has appeared on the big screen, that's not where he had his biggest successes. He might not have made his mark on Hollywood, but Sir David John White OBE, better known as David Jason, has made his mark on just about every English-speaking person since the 60s. He's starred in everything from soap operas to sitcoms, sketch shows to kids' animations, drama series to documentaries. He's held his own working alongside other greats, such as Eric Idle, Christopher Lee, Tim Curry and Catherine Zeta-Jones, to name but a few. He's worked with both Terry Pratchett and Ronnie Barker numerous times. He's presented several documentaries, such as Great British Inventions, which included The Wheel and Aeroplanes, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, which sees him take to the skies in a vintage Second World War plane, an old military helicopter. He rides a vintage steam train and meets a legendary motorbike club. In 2010, he presented a programme to mark the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Britain. And just last month, he saluted a fellow British icon by narrating the Lancaster Bomber at 80, a look at the incredible story of one of history's most iconic aircraft, with contribution from our very own Alex Churchill. Yay me! Do you know what? I'm just going to interject here and say that I only took that job first off before I even knew what they were paying. So I was like, I'm going to be a Del Boy. I'm going to be a Del Boy. And then you just did a voiceover because of COVID and I cried. Oh, but who doesn't love him? So he also played Captain Frank Beck in the first World War film, All the King's Men. And he presented the documentary film World Cup 1966, Alfie's Boys. He appeared in Crossroads, Randall and Hopkirk and Do Not Adjust Your Set, as well as Porridge and the two Ronnies under various guises. He voiced the wonderful whiz-popping BFG in the original animated version of the film. He is a scrum diddlyumptious marvellous human being. Is I right or left? David Jason brought to life the feckless Mr Toad in Wind in the Willows. He was Danger Mouse and Count Ducula. He's the king of comedy timing and innuendo as the daydreaming Granville in Open All Hours. First filmed in 1976, this timeless classic ran for four seasons and is just as funny now as the first time it was shown. The sequel, Still Open All Hours, starring David Jason, has been in production since 2013. 
He played the lovable pop larkin, an opportunistic rascal with a very strong moral compass, and the head of the family in the feel-good comedy drama The Darling Buds of May, which gave Catherine Zeta-Jones her breakout role and is soon set to see a remake. By the early 90s, it was time for a grittier role. The cynical, mercurial Jack Frost in A Touch of Frost. This police procedural drama saw public perception of David Jason change from a predominantly comic actor to a dramatic actor. He played the well-meaning but flawed detective inspector for 15 seasons. Say au revoir to his most well-known character, everyone's favourite wide boy wheeler dealer Derek Trotter, Del Boy in Only Fools and Horses. His genius one-liners are comedy gold and his ability to speak French is the best I've ever heard. May we, a household name, Del Boy is still found all over the UK and beyond. There's a dinner theatre in his honour. If you haven't seen it, you should. It's brilliant. Yellow Robin Reliance are scattered across the country and give much more street cred than they deserve. There's at least one bright yellow Trotter's independent trader's boat floating around the British canals too. Mange too, Rodney, mange too. He comes up in conversation on a more than regular basis. Alex mentioned the Poitier Potter sketch earlier tonight, and I'm pretty sure the aforementioned Danny Dyer may actually have based his own personality on Del Boy, mon Dieu. He's a household name, a national treasure, well-loved and interesting enough to have released three successful biographies, My Life, Only Fools and Stories, and A Dell of a Life. Some of his, li- some of his lines have become catchphrases. Pop Larkin's Perfect and Del Boy's Cushti, Love de Jubbly and You Plonker have become part of the British lexicon. Generations have laughed with him, been comforted by him, commiserated with him. He has incredibly precise comic timing, effortless double entendre and outstanding versatility. He's played such a range of characters that have stood the test of time for generations and will continue to do so for many more. The inimitable talent that brought us Granville, Del Boy, Pop Larkin and Frost David Jason may be 81 now, but the characters he brought to life will never grow old. Don't worry, Rodney. This time next year, we'll be millionaires. I love this man. I love him. Uh, (laughs) Cried when I didn't get to meet him. I literally, I've sulked muchly. Uh, I've already quoted him tonight. Says it all. Yeah. Really. Uh, He is fantastic. It's the crossover as well. It's the fact that he was playing Frost at the same time he was playing Del Boy. Yeah, exactly. He can, just, he can switch. Yeah. <clears throat> he was, I think, as well in Porridge, he plays like a 90 year old man. They age him up and he plays this doddery old bloke in the prison. Yeah. 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 Well, he nearly <clears throat> got the part as uh, some Lance Corporal Jones in Dad's yep. Army. And the producer sort of knew that he could play it and he had the talent. And then some guy, some executive said, no, 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 I'm casting this guy because he's better known. Yeah. Um, um, and also as well that massively famous scene where Del Boy falls down by the bar. <laughs> no, I don't think it was even in the script. I think what, what, done, what happens in what happens in that scene? <laughs> oh, shut <laughs> up! <laughs> <laughs> I think he hadn't. So it wasn't in the script, and he just I think he basically said, uh, "Just leave the camera running because I'm going to do something." And they were like, "All right, you weirdo." Uh, and he had done a lot of that falling down stuff in variety. He falls, yeah, he falls. Yeah, he falls. Yeah, he's really good at it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, I love him. I uh, let's just end now and give Kate the prize. No, I'm not allowed to do that. Uh, Simon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean. I absolutely love David Jason. Uh, he is he is superb, and yeah, as uh, Kate has said, 
his versatility. Uh, I mean, Frost. Frost is not a comic role. It's a, no, it's a pretty. It's a. It's a pretty dark role, and it's sort of at that time. I think he was at the forefront of uh, taking uh, taking comic actors. I would say late noughties and putting them in these uh, rather sort of straight things, a bit like Robbie Coltrane in Cracker, mm. in a yeah. way. But where Cracker sort of ran out of steam and in the end uh, they made Cracker became a detective almost, David Jason always, I think he's a, I think he's a great actor for both staying in character and being able to take that character into different places. So even... You know, you give him a great, you give him a good script. He's great in it. You give him a great script, and he's brilliant. So, I think one um, thing it's interesting you say that because um, if you've read the Frost books, the character is is quite flat and two dimensional. He's just not very nice, and you don't like him, um, which is why I stopped reading them. I think that whole sort of other level where he was actually more a complex character that David Jason does in the program is not in the books. That's all him. Yeah, and it's no, he 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 put a lot more depth to the character, didn't he? He really made it. Um, yeah, he really made it into something. And he does, and he did in Del Boy as well. If you think about it, there's just a couple of things that I really, really remember that you know you suddenly realise that he's given up a lot to bring up his kid brother, and also he's also had to sacrifice you know his own happiness there's that there's there is there's that the kind scene of after Rodney's got married in the pub yeah. where Dale's the only one left so I see and, and I think it's I think it's hinted in that scene that you know he could have uh he could have gone off with Marnell she would have had him and he could you know he could have had kids of his own and everything else before he met before he met uh I've forgotten her name Raquel Raquel so you know he is a great actor he's a great comic actor and he's a great uh He's one of, at 81 years old, he's a, a great TV actor who, you know, sadly won't be around. <laughs> Cheers, he won't be around for, uh, for a long Shush, time. Shush, Penfold, you're not allowed to say that. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yes. Otherwise, course. if it happens now in the next five years, you killed him. <laughs> um, there's Thank also you. that scene as well, isn't there? The one where she's just had the baby and he's talking to the baby and he's talking to his mum as well. And I think yeah. that was just that it takes a very special kind of actor to be able to flip from comedy to, um, to getting a laugh out of someone after you've made them cry. Um, definitely, definitely. so I think it's a good yeah. basically I think it's I think it's a, a good choice a, a a very good choice I've I really love him um uh I'm not going to name drop and say that I've I've met him but I have and um oh, I think that he's a he's just as nice in person as I well so you can tell he's gonna be you can tell he's just lost he's great uh I put <laughs> something in the chat for you uh <laughs> um uh but yes um he's 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 great, and I do do like him. Uh, we have just before I go to Holmes, Kit. You've missed. Hello, Kit. How are you? Where are you? You still in Scandinavia? No, I'm in Cyprus. You bastard. <laughs> you've it's, missed. It's uh, first it's... of all, you've missed. Um, who were you most gutted when they got cancelled? Because it turns out they were a horrible, nasty piece of work. Mine was Kevin Spacey. Um. Oh God! Um, I'm as Joseph the, Goebbels. <laughs> I think the one that's awkward for me is um, is the first ever concert I went to. Um, what the supporting act, so the first band I ever saw live was Lost Profits, oh. and the lead singer turned out to be 
Oh, that was horrible. That was very yeah. small children on a hard drive. And, yeah. Oh, yuck. So uh, that, and the that's, other... that's, that's kind of soured my, like, my first ever concert for me. Uh, and the other one was who's the most famous actor you've met? I mean, to, be, to be honest, you're going to struggle to top Heathers. No, no. Uh, Dustin Hoffman. Dust oh, you met Dustin Hoffman? I've met Duff Dustin Hoffman. Where? Um, I met him on the South Bank. Um, uh, I've met Olivia Coleman, um, Oscar winner as well. Oh, she's dead to me after the crown. Um, I've met Emma Thompson. <laughs> Love her. I don't know if Emma Thompson's more... I met Emma Thompson and Dustin Hoffman at the same time. They were making a movie together. Um, I think I've seen that film. I mean, it wasn't very good, as I recall. But, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Excellent. Right, Holmes, Del Boy. David Jason. Uh, this is a slightly tricky one for me because I'm at the risk of making myself even more unpopular. I don't like Only Falls and Horses. Yeah, it's because you're it. Northern and you oh. don't get it. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't like what's the one set in the shop up, open all hours. Didn't like that either. You have really? not sold it. But yeah, the, guys, this is this bloke doesn't eat cake. What the fuck? He's not, it's not right. <laughs> no, he doesn't not, like just, cake. I, I, just I, never, I don't like cake. I just never saw what all the fuss was about in Only Fools and Horses. For one gag, there's eight dodgy ones. I've it's never seen Darling Buds of May. I've never seen Frost. I've seen Danger Mouse. Quite liked him in that. I've not got much to say, but I mean, the other thing, the other thing I noted down is that Kate said he appeared in Crossroads, which I'm guessing that's the only time we're going to hear that phrase repeated in a pitch tonight. But role you know you've got to give him some leeway a little bit yeah well I, obviously i did i didn't see him in that i'm not you know i i, I sort of you know i'm probably not <laughs> ideal judging this but yeah it's not not really doing it for me and that's probably my own fault rather than a reflection on him i think you've probably yeah i think you've probably been outvoted there by you know everyone else all of them heather's with me she just said Heather, Heather, you saw some of it when you were here because I made you watch some, but it was only all in the background. Yeah, I, 
I don't know much. So I literally saw a little bit of Dad's Army and that was He it. wasn't in Dad's Army and and don't know is not the same as don't like. <laughs> yes. And Charlie yes. Shush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want to hear you. Well, not yet anyway, because I'll be doing your pitch really soon. But I can't, Holmes, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. I'm really upset. I'm really upset. Definitely don't make him go and sit through that musical now. <laughs> right. Fair. I'll pay for the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> go for it. Right. Okay. Oh, not the top of my notes. So uh, I thought when this one was presented, greatest actors there as a topic for Dan the Pop. I thought it was really interesting because at the end of the day this one is just so subjective um whilst some of our other topics we generally have a, we can come to a, some sort of an agreement on greatest actor really does depend on your own preferences um for some people and I think Adam Sandler's the greatest actor in history because you really love comedies or Vin Diesel, because you love really monotonous films about cars. Um, I think we can agree that these two examples are not the greatest actors in history. Uh, but to me, the greatest actor must have quite a tangible effect. Um, they've usually starred in many great works, mainly cinematic epics or exceptional TV series. Um, they'll usually have had a defining role or a characteristic, which has endeared them to the world. Um, and if you're lucky, they'll simply be a good person as well. And for me, my choice is the epitome of all of these qualifications. He has six decades of acting work behind him, TV, film and stage. He's starred in some of the biggest film series of our time, for which he has won many awards. And he advocates for many charitable causes, including LGBTQ plus charities and providing access to the arts for all. He is the whole package. And this is why Sir Ian McKellen is the greatest actor of all time. Um, so as I said, he's had a career spanning six decades, performed in genres ranging from Shakespearean works and modern theatre to popular fantasy and science fiction. Over his career, he's received 60 awards, including seven Laurence Olivier's, a Tony Award, the Golden Globe and a Screen, Guild, Screen Actors Guild Award. He's also received many further nominations um, for Academy Awards, Primetime Emmys and BAFTAs as well. Uh, so he was born in 1939 in Burnley, Lancashire, so he's our northern contingent for this evening. Um, but shortly before the break, outbreak of the Second World War, his family moved to Wigan, they then moved to Bolton as well. Um, and his experience of living through the war as a young child had a lasting impact on him. Um, he said that, you know, his life growing up certainly wasn't normal. Um, one quote that I found from when he was being interviewed um, in the aftermath of the September 11th attack said that he seemed quite calm because um, he was in New York when it happened and McKellen says well darling you forget I slept under a steel plate until I was four years old like that you know he obviously very formative experience um when he was 12 his mother died of breast cancer his father died when he was 24 as well um he attended a, the bolton school of which he is still a supporter and he regularly goes back there to talk to pupils so he hasn't forgotten where he's come from um he started acting at the bolton little theater of which he's now the patron he, as i said he's still very involved in his community um and this early fascination with the theatre was encouraged by his parents. They took him to his first uh, 
his first play, which was Peter Pan when he was three years old. And then his sister, as he grew up after his mother died and so on, would take him further to plays, which then developed into Shakespeare. So Twelfth Night, Macbeth, Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, in 1958, he was lucky to be a, awarded a scholarship to St. Catherine's College, Cambridge. Um, he read English literature and he was a member of the Marlowe Society, where he appeared in 23 plays um, alongside people like Derek Jacobi. And he gave really very solid performances in things like Cymbeline and Dr. Faustus. But I suppose the role that most people know Sir Ian for, from, arguably his biggest and most iconic, is his portrayal of Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit film series. Now, major, 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 major nerd, I love Lord of the Rings. Um, so his take on Gandalf is arguably one of the most iconic actor-character pairings in cinema history. Um, apart from his natural charisma and gravitas that he has, what makes his Gandalf so memorable is, like many of the other actors we've had this evening, his rich and layered voice. You can hear Ian McKellen. If you walk over your eyes and think now, you can hear his voice. Um, and hearing him talk as Gandalf, you really do find it easy to believe that the character is an ancient wizard with unbounds un of knowledge and power, um, tinged with a world weariness, he's seen too much, he's done too much. Um, but Sir Ian's choice to take on this role isn't just about the character or how he sounds reading the script. Um, whenever he takes a job, because that's what it is to these actors at the end of the day, it is a job for them. Uh, he writes on his blog, because he has his own blog, why wouldn't he? Um, he says, I invariably look at the job as a whole, who will direct, who will be cast, how long it will take, where it will be working. So with Lord of the Rings, the whole venture across three movies and across the magical landscape of New Zealand is as invigorating as the opportunity to embody a legend. And Lord of the Rings truly was a venture, you know, all three films back to back, 438 days of filming with additional shoots conducted between 2001 and 2003, um, shot over 150 different locations, you know, budget what, grossed over $3 billion, nominated for 30 Oscars, um, winning Best Picture for Return of the King, which side note, as a nerd, I don't even think that's the best of the three. Um, it's still, it's basically why many people go to New Zealand, including myself, but I digress back to Sir Ian. Um, despite enthralling thousands of enthusiasts every night with his command over Shakespearean monologues, the one thing that he is most commonly associated with and most likely will be in perpetuity comes from the Fellowship of the Ring, where he's facing off against the demonic Balrog, you shall not pass, um, which is just one of those moments of cinema that is just everyone knows who it is. Everyone knows that it's from Lord of the Rings. I mean, forget the fact that it's, it's actually wrong, because in the book it says you cannot pass. Um, and he does say you cannot pass the first time, but then he changes it to you shall not pass, which I think has far more gravitas um, and leads the line and that scene to become what it is and what we now know. Um, obviously, that's for me, that's his most well-known role, but for there's a whole other section of nerdery that would know him from somewhere else. Um, and that's his uh, take on the supervillain Eric M. Lenshair, aka Magneto of X-Men, um, and in a lot of ways shows Ian McKellen's whole spectrum because Magneto is completely the opposite of Gandalf. He's ruthless, um, obsessed with dominating mankind, uh, but 
McKellen still portrays Eric Magneto with the same relish as he portrays in Gandalf. And it's so fascinating to see him play these two parallel characters at about the same sort of time as well. He was making these films sort of parallel with each other. Um, in his own document, uh, in document documentary, McKellen playing the part, Sarian um, revealed that he was willing to take a chance on playing Magneto, um, despite characters' comic book storyline, rather than because of it. So he's done it in spite of it. Um, and according to Sarian, Magneto's desire to establish a new new world order fueled by the horrors he'd seen as a child um, made him more complex and compelling than other typical action characters. Um, he even says in the documentary, Superman, the Hulk, Spider-Man, even James Bond, they're all the same people. Wimps who change out of clothes and become superheroes, discovering their inner light. But that's not Magneto. He's political, a warrior, clear-sighted, pained, anguished and determined. And that's a part really worth playing. Um, he does. He did mention that obviously these are his two well-known roles uh, in film um, but he has said that journalists ask him if he's if he's sorry that after all the work that he's done that he's best known as Magneto in Gandalf um, but he said that that's not that's what I've always wanted not to be known as myself I want to draw a attention to the characters as I mentioned earlier one of his most alluring aspects I suppose of his screen presence is his deep and let's be honest, perfect voice. Um, he's developed it to such a level of a fine level, like a minute, uh, get, I'm getting all nerdy here. So he's got it such to a finite level. Of, it's just perfection. It's just, it's, it's decades of acting on stage where he needs to make sure his dialogue can be heard clearly all the way to the back of the theatre. And I haven't even touched on the fact that he has an extensive theatre career um, stretching all the way back to 1961. There's so much to choose from. Uh, he's portrayed iconic Shakespearean characters, Macbeth, Richard II, Romeo. He's had stints on West End Broadway. He's an advocate as well for touring companies. Um, he really is very strong about the fact that not everyone can experience theatre in London, which a lot of the theatre that in certainly in the UK is is London centric and he's really keen on touring theatre so that people know what the joy of theatre is. Um, his best known theatre role for which he did receive uh, a nomination for a Tony Award as well was Antonio Soleri and Amadeus for the Natu National Theatre. Um, he's he also played in October 19, in 2017, as Charlie mentioned earlier, with not seeing Kevin Spacey's Leah. He did, he has played King Leah on many occasions. Um, most recently, 2017, 2018, which I was actually lucky enough to see at the Duke of York's Theatre in London in the West End. And it was the most subliminal performance I have ever seen in my life. The presence that he had, he just walked onto the stage and you felt the whole theatre just move forward as in like being ready to watch the performance. I mean, he was 79 when I saw him in it and he literally has to drag one of the other actors who plays his youngest daughter across the stage. He's got her over his shoulders and this is a 79 year old man. Like it's just oh, so completely outstanding, completely outstanding. And he continues to want to give back he's so humble as well he does so much charity work and he he's 
presidents and patrons of so many different charities and and so on he's he obviously works a lot with Stonewall as well as we know he is he's a gay man and he's had to come overcome a lot of um struggles with that um he didn't come out until 1988 into the general public on a program on BBC radio because of um possibly you know the introduction of section 28 of the local government bill um he so he came out as gay during that period of time um, and that he says that he was influenced in his decision by the advice and support of his friends. One of Serene's most evocative lines of anything that he's ever done comes from his portrayal of Gandalf, which is as follows. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to do is decide all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us and he has certainly made the most of the time that has been given to him over a professional career that started in 1961 at the belgrade theater which is in coventry of all places would you believe ian mckellen has portrayed all manner of heroes villains with a depth that few actors could hope to duplicate the BBC has stated in many articles about him that his performances have guaranteed him a place in the canon of English stage and film actors. A recipient of every major theatrical award in the UK, McKellen is regarded as, as an icon. He is an icon. He was knighted in 1991 uh, for services to the performing arts and made a companion of honour for services to drama and to equality in the 2008 New, York, New Year's Honours. And he continues to champion LGBTQ plus social movements worldwide. He's not just the greatest actor. He's not just a cultural icon. He is a good man. And that is why Sir Ian McKellen is the greatest actor of all time. I just, is anyone else seeing the comedy irony for all the LGBT stuff that he's made, you've made the lesbian in the room fall asleep? <laughs> she looked like she passed out halfway through that. <laughs> I bet that was brilliant. I want to thank you for a pitch that was almost as long as Ian McKellen's life as well. Um, <clears throat> did you know, though, Charlie put in the chat that all of those nominations, um, none of them were for the acting in Lord of the Rings. No, I know that, but that's that just that was just a side note of my nerdery of Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Uh, yeah. Note. And it was noted by Kit that you've actually surpassed Chris and Holmes for nerdiness tonight. Well done. Yeah. Simon, how big a fan of Ian McKellen are you? Well, um, I had no idea who Ian McKellen was as a big film, as a big, big film buff as a kid. And then growing up until I saw, and I put a link in, um, uh, his appearance on Wogan, where he explained why he was supporting Clause 28. And I was at university at the time and I was uh, going on marches um, against uh, the government for um, implementing, um, as they were trying to introduce uh, Clause Twenty Eight, uh, kind of homophobic legislation. So it became a bit of a, a bit of a hero at that time. But you could not see, you did not really see Ian McKellen on TV or in film at that time. He was an out and out theatre actor. Uh, and I wasn't of the age where I was going to theatre to see the plays that he was doing at that time. So I've only really, he's only really come to the fore. I think one of the earliest things that I saw him in that I was blown away by was his Richard III, which I think Charlotte as well mentioned that he was great there. I thought that she's I've, all biased when it comes to Richard III. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Ian McKellen, um, though controversially, 
I find him in the same, sort of in the same vein as a film actor, as Christopher Lee. I don't find very many McKellen performances on celluloid that differ. And I've not seen him. Have I seen him in theatre? I've not seen a theatre performance by him, but I'm led to believe by all the reviews that I've read that he is an absolutely brilliant theatre um, theater actor, kind of a bit like John Gilgood. Uh, I only really saw... He was John... absolutely phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, see, I can't say I've been, like, I can't say I've gone, you know, I go to the theatre every single week. Um, but I've been to quite a few shows and he's just, no one compares. Absolutely no one compares to him. Um, we went I... we went and saw King Lear. We were, the tickets that we'd had, it was, <laughs> again, nerding out. It was one of my wedding presents from my husband. He bought us tickets four rows from the front um of the Duke of York theatre and it was it was my husband does not do Shakespeare at all he hates it um he hates any of that kind of, of theatre and so on but he was so enamoured as well by that yeah no 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 and and I I can really I I mean I definitely I could definitely see that I would have loved to I'm Amadeus is one of my favourite films slash plays um and I've got the, I went and saw it recently at the National and I've also got the BBC recording with um, Paul Schofield, nearly called it Philip Schofield. That would have been a different play, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, uh, but I do think that um, for me, Ian McKellen, I love him in Lord of the Rings, love him in the X-Men films, but he's very much a Christopher Lee actor for me. And I think that he's somebody who shines in the theatre and not so much on celluloid for me, but... But that that link I've put, if you want to see two men who are kind of quite subversively rocking against the government for kind of homophobic legislation, that is a great performance. <laughs> that is him playing it straight, as it were. So, yeah. Like you say as well, an excellent human being in many ways, uh, given that we haven't met him, but comes across as one. Holmes, what about you? I can't believe that you, you missed out his best work, Beth. He, he appeared as a a vampire in the uh, Patrick Boys single video for Heart in 1988. <laughs> Great video, well worth looking up. Um, well, there's just so much I could have talked about. I mean, I, I talked so I mean, enough I mean, anyway. I mean, I mean, the notes that I, I wrote down tended to echo what Simon had said, really. And we could be being very harsh because I've never seen him in theatre either. Um, he's great in Lord of the Rings. He's great in X-Men. He was in Last Action Hero as well, but I don't remember him being in that, to be honest, but that was quite a while back. Um, he was the death that can't, he was death from um, Ingmar Bergman's um, Seventh Seal. He comes at the end and says, "I don't do fiction." And sorry, <laughs> but I mean, he does does seem like a lovely bloke. One of a, one of a, my son's friends, he turned up to their normal state school to give them a bit of a pep talk in sort of January one year when their GCSEs were coming up. And and he finished off by saying, "You shall all pass in that voice, rather." Than oh, oh brilliant! Which is, you know, you know, that's that's worth something in itself. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder Podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Absolutely. Right. 
<clears throat> Heather wants it known as well that she wasn't asleep. She just didn't want to see everybody laughing at how Beth was fangirling over Ian McKellen. Uh, I don't but... see why. I'm not ashamed of this. He is a wonderful man, and I'm not ashamed of my fangirling. So, <clears throat> it is what you're saying. It was right? cute. Right, I'm going to go next. Uh, this is short, not sweet at all. Actually, it's quite terrifying, but I decided to go a different way and go someone from history who actually is not remembered for being an actor. What if you were so good an actor that nobody even knew you were acting? Imagine you are an ill-educated, angry halfwit of limited physical and mental capability, but that you managed to convince a nation that you were a demigod. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Adolf fucking Hitler. Young Adolf was such a good actor that at an early age, he managed to convince himself he was an artist. That in itself is stunning. Have you seen his paintings? Crappy little watercolours that look like the kind of novelty Blue Peter art created by a chimp on children's television. Uh, he then managed to convince himself that he was an author by turning out hundreds of pages of shithousery that laid out Hitler's plans for transforming German society into one based on race. Throughout the book, Jews are equated with germs and presented as the international poisoners of society. And yet this nonsense, when it was released, people actually put credence in this idiot's words and it sold in two volumes, 228,000 copies. The year he came to power... It sold a million. But let's fast forward to the part where this bog average, highly disturbed individual managed to convince much of Germany that not only was he sane and fit to lead them, but that the utter bollocks he was spewing actually made sense. Frequently done at immense rallies by thousands, this testicularly lopsided bellend ranted and raved and whipped people into a frenzy using a rhetoric of hate exclusion and blaming other people. And they followed him. As early as 1920, I found a speech at the Hofbrau House in Munich entitled, Why Are We Anti-Semites? 2,000 people attended. In two hours, he was interrupted 58 times for cheering. 1934, you're looking at more like 700,000 Nazi supporters turning up to one of the Nuremberg shindigs. Uh, that's basically it. By pretending to be worthy of the responsibility of the capability of leading his nation, this monster set events in motion that would obliterate the planet for six years and leave it with a hangover that lasted for decades. There were a few positive things you can say about Hitler, but that he was good at bullshit is undeniable. And what is acting, if not the art of bullshitting your audience and making them believe what isn't really true? Holmes, you can go first. I'm already slightly worried I'm going to get lynched for publicly admitting I don't like Only Fools and Horses, so I'll get in all sorts of shit if we award Hitler. Oh, no, you're not, you not going to say you don't like Hitler, are you? You're not going to say you don't like Hitler, for fuck's sake. Come on. Yeah, oh, it's such a shame it's been cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he wasn't an actor. He was just a complete fucking arsehole and worse. It's, it's, I mean, he is an actor, though. How does he manage to convince all of those people to follow him? I mean, that's a skill. It's a terrifying, disgusting one that like, has changed the world for the worse and killed millions. But fuck me. It's an interesting one because, you know, if you say, I think that sort of the closest we've got to sort of seeing or being within that, being able to see that sort of sense of adoration and everything else is um, watching Trump. And if you've watched the uh, six hours at the cap at the Capitol, and just people talking about 
Trump and the sort of saying people saying we're just patriots and we're out to stop the steal and somebody actually goes well, what does that actually mean <laughs> and they they don't know they just can regurgitate these sound bites and everything else I think he was I think he's a, was a madman he believed pretty much believed everything everything that he said I don't think that there was any I would be hard pressed to see any acting in it because he actually was was doing it he wasn't none of it was method you know none of it was like i'm i am the one could have been it could have been really method you know the one thing that i guess you could say isn't it i think a wellington is he the person who said um just because you're a horse born in a stay a dog born in a stable isn't a horse or something like something like that or something along the lines of you know nobody bangs the drum harder than nobody bangs the patriotic drum harder than the outsider and him being an Austrian who's trying to kind of embody all these Germanic and German values, I guess, taking in the role of sort of the, the Aryan master race bit. But um, I don't know. I would, I think w- where that might fall down is I'd rather see McKellen's uh, Sauron than, <laughs> than, Ad- than Adolf's. <laughs> I have no point and no problem with it, with you not voting for this choice. But my point is that people don't act only for entertainment purposes. Sometimes in history, they have had terrible, horrible consequences that have nothing to do with uh, just a piece of art. But let's move on. So we've got two left, oh, two big guns left as well. Um, by that, I mean highly competitive uh perfectionists uh let's go to kit who was having a paddy a few hours ago because he didn't get the memo that you weren't allowed to have women yeah um so i've actually been off doing um a a recording for a different podcast um so i haven't prepared anything and also i have no idea what everyone else has done so i like i'm gonna pick an actor i'm gonna talk about that actor but i know i i don't know if i'm gonna steal it from someone charlie's now looking very worried go for it I'm choosing Tom Hanks. Oh, we've had him. <laughs> yeah. We've had him. Uh, no, we no, haven't. But it's okay. Charlie Hello. definitely won't be picking Tom Hanks to go for it. She's currently pretending to yak. Okay. It, Charlie, it, was Charlie going to pick Tom Hanks? No, she hates him. So carry on. Fantastic. <laughs> so the reason I'm picking Tom Hanks is simple. We're looking at versatility and acting is also about likability. Now, not always you want someone who can play a villain, but Tom Hanks just has a natural charisma that makes you want to root for him. And that can be in dramas, that can be in psychological horrors, that can be in comedies. He's done it all. He's played everything from um, uh, sort of period pieces um, to futuristic, bizarre concept films. He's not afraid to take risks. Um, I mean, for example, in Cloud Atlas, he plays uh, six different characters, all from six different time zones. Um, in radically different ways. He's got versatility. Uh, he came to our screens, of course, on TV in, in the classic show Bosom Buddies, where he played a man dressing as a woman so that he could get a cheap flat. Um, it's generally not considered a highlight of his career. And then moves on to a, um, a sort of Christian anti-Dungeons and Dragons movie uh, that was called Mazes and Monsters, where his best line was, beware the sacrilege, uh, as he warned others, and slowly became mad and believed that he was a priest in a Dungeons & Dragons game. His career really took off, of course, with the fantasy movie Big, a movie where he played a 12-year-old boy trapped in a man's body who um, 
awkwardly sleeps with one of his co-workers. We probably should, should move on very, very quickly from that. Um, but he doesn't just stick into this comedy fantasy genre, which he made his own with movies like Splash as well. He experimented with horror in The Burbs, and of course he moved on to drama with Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia, for those of you who haven't seen it, is an incredibly heart-wrenching piece. Um, he plays a, uh, a lawyer who contracts AIDS and finds himself fired because of his illness um, and the undercurrent of homophobia. It's a moving, uh, very, very smart performance, very nuanced, very controlled, showing that he has that depth of range. Of course, he then plays uh, Forrest Gump, uh, a very unfortunate comedy character um, now in the light of the 21st century. You can almost guarantee that movie would not have been made uh, today. But at the time, um, incredibly popular. And then we look at what he did with things like The Green Mile, for instance, where, again, he was able to bring that nuance of depth, of drama, of horror, of comedy, that lightness of touch, that inherent likability that Tom Hanks has. He's transversed the screen for four decades now, doing many, many different roles. He's taken on villain roles as well. And even though you're looking at it thinking, that's Tom Hanks, I should like the guy, he's still able to creep in evil when he wants. Movies such as The Circle or the aforementioned Cloud Atlas. He's incredibly versatile. He's done it on TV. He's done it on screen. He's done it on stage. Tom Hanks has to be a winner, doesn't he? It's a good shout, even though Charlie's politely grinning and going, no, no, it doesn't. Charlie, what's your beef with Tom Hanks? Look, I loved Big. I grew up watching that film. Absolutely <laughs> loved him. But even in the 90s, I knew that Forrest Gump was an offensive piece of shit. And I did not forgive him. I couldn't watch a Tom Hanks film. The, the next Tom Hanks film that I watched, barring Toy Story, where I didn't have to see his stupid face, was Saving Mr. Banks. And only now, like The Post, I loved Absolutely fantastic film, but it took me a long time to get over how offensive I found that film. Now, your you, husband you, has made you watch Saving Private Ryan. I still like, haven't watched it. I still oh, haven't watched not it. weep when his hand stops twitching at the end. Because everybody spoiled it for me. <laughs> why, why am I going to watch it? I don't think I've ever seen Charlie Angry before. <laughs> <laughs> has anyone ever Films. seen Charlie Angry before? Films make me angry. Oliver Cromwell makes me angry. Um, Henry Tudor makes me angry. Other than that, I'm a pretty easygoing kind of girl. It's strangely it's like historically hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you can throw in there as well, we've got, you know, Saving Private Ryan. He has done so many movies that are considered one of the top 10, if not at the pinnacle of each genre. Um, in fact, Saving Private Ryan, we could have easily included in our, our top war movies chat. Um, he's really done it all. And I think that because he's so popular and, and liked, quite often we underestimate just what an actor he is. The fact that everyone breaks down in tears at the end of Saving Private Ryan, a war movie, um, says an awful lot from a guy who started out in comedy. I actually really liked Greyhound as well because people whined it was only an hour and a half long. It was perfect. It didn't need to be any longer. If it had been Ooh. any longer, it would have turned into Das Boot and made Holmes angry. Uh, Which of course it was claustrophobic and oppressive for one hour and a half and that was all it needed to be to make a really good entertaining film Holmes you must have seen some Tom Hanks films yeah I've even seen Greyhound and I liked it um I guess it's sort of it's sort of to me it's going back to the sort of I've not seen Philadelphia where I, I, I understand that he lost weight and everything to 
play that character. But all the films that I've seen him in, it's sort of going back a little bit to the Ian McKellen, Christopher Lee thing, and that you're just conscious that you're seeing Tom Hanks play the character. I think that's very unfair. Um, I think that he, 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 he isn't one of those people like Christian Bale, who's a chameleon, but I think that he actually inhabits the roles. When you talk about Philadelphia, for example, and contrast that with Saving Private Ryan, contrast that with Toy Story, he shows a different level of touch, uh, a deafness, if you will, that he brings to those characters. He brings in kind notes of, that other people don't. I, I hear that, and I might get shouted down for this, but the best performance by any actor that I can think of that I've seen in the last few years is Alec Guinness in the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy thing. He's unbelievably good in that. And when you're watching that, and even though you know it looks, it's Alec Guinness, because it's the older Alec Guinness that looks like Obi-Wan Kenobi. So there's, you know, but he's so good, you forget you're watching Alec Guinness. And yeah, I don't um, think Tom, I don't think Tom Hanks has that ability with me. I like a lot of the films he's been in. I've not seen Forrest Gump. Um, there's a few others that I haven't seen, but I, I just think there's a few of these. You're conscious that it's always the actor that you're watching playing the part, and that you can't separate the two. Isn't that what the skill of a leading man is, rather than the character actor? Maybe. Oh no, I've judged it all wrong. <laughs> Simon. Where's Tom um, Hanks for you? So this is an interesting one um, because I I applaud Tom Hanks for the different roles that he takes. And it, he really does, you know, from uh, Charlotte's Offensive, um, Forrest Gump through to, I mean, he very rarely plays a baddie. He's very good in The Road to Perdition, um, which is an underrated film where he's mm. with Paul Newman, well worth uh, looking very at. Different. My feeling about Tom Hanks <clears throat> in a way that sort of, yeah, it slightly touches on the Christopher Lee and the Ian McKellen is that uh, Tom Hanks, he's, I think a lot of people would say that he's this generation's Jim, Jimmy Stewart. And uh, Jimmy Stewart had made a lot of films, but there were very, there were very few films in which uh, James Stewart wasn't James Stewart. And that didn't make the, those films bad. I love... Um, I can't remember the most famous Christmas one. I love that film. It's a wonderful life. Thank you. And the film, I love Harvey and I love the film. He's the, the Western as well. There's a great Western with James Stewart that I love as well. Anyway, How the West Was Won. How the West Was Won. James Stewart's brilliant in that. Yeah. Um, but I think that um, Tom Hanks has got better. I really, really love uh, Captain Phillips. Uh, I, uh, love, um, I love the films that Tom Hanks has made in the last 10 years where actually... I think he I think he does more acting than uh, I think he does more acting than suddenly bringing kind of this Tom Hanks persona and character. He is a great actor. The, the trouble for Tom Hanks, I think, um, and it's a good problem to have, is that he is a film star in the same way that Tom Hanks is a film star. Tom Hanks can act. You see American Made, you see um, you see uh, Magnolia. You see, you see certain films that Tom Hanks has done and you go, oh my God, he can act. But there he is doing the Tom Hanks thing that he can do night and day and that he's doing in um, uh, the Mission Impossible films. And I would love to see more films where Tom Cruise acts. And I feel kind of the same about the Hankster, if we may call him that. Um, I don't think it's a bad choice. I think, you, you know, again, like Christopher Lee, as I said, and, and Ian McKellen, he's a good actor. I would love to see him. Yeah, very good in the Mr. Rogers film, Clive. And by the way, Clive, you look as though you're doing this from a cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying Porno to keep it lights in. going in the background. <laughs> yeah. he's, doing, he's doing it from secrets in Hammersmith. <laughs> yeah. um, um, 
yeah, I, I could. He's a he's somebody. Mrs. London will go and see a film that has Tom Hanks in. I will that that doesn't uh, a Tom Hanks film doesn't make me go and see see that film. There's very there's probably about ten people I will go and see a film because it's by them, like a Spielberg film or or whatever. And and he doesn't fall into that for me. But I don't have I do not have a problem with him. And I do think um, that Charlotte possibly unfairly with the Forrest Gump. The, the Forrest Gump thing. Yeah, there was there's something slightly offensive about it, but also there's something quite brilliant in the homespun, in the homespun bit. The bit I find most offensive is, uh, hi, Forrest, I'm going to sleep with you and then come back when I'm HIV positive and got a kid that needs to be raised. That, <laughs> that feels the bit, <laughs> that feels the bit that feels the hardest to watch in that film. Yeah, I mean, other than that, Forrest is winning, isn't he? So, yeah, yeah, I'll come back when you're a multimillionaire, and <laughs> and I'm telling them I need to, and I have a kid that needs to be raised. Yeah, I mean, right. let's not forget he's also a Villa fan. That could be a plus or a minus, depending on where you're coming from. Oh, Charlie's now. <laughs> Everyone else is pretty set. Only good thing about him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, that was interesting from Holmes mentioning what he thinks is the best acting performance of the last 10 years. Um, have have a think about that, because I'll ask you when we go around the room. I mean, yeah, um, the one I referred to, with, it, it goes way back. It's late 70s or mid-70s, okay. I think, but well, I've only watched it recently. Years, of the last 10 years, the best male acting performance you've seen turned in i'll ask you that as we go around but before we do that we've got our very own film nerd in the room and she's kept her mouth mostly shut apart from her <laughs> um charlie i'm really yeah. interested i don't know about you by how the lack of americans tonight because this group been. isn't one that would pick the brits just because they're brits but it's come down quite heavily away from hollywood so what have you done Oh, God. Do you know what? This has been horrible. It's been like torture for me because every time someone's mentioned, I'm like, damn, why didn't I do them? They're so good. Alec Guinness, Jimmy Stewart. The best Western Jimmy Stewart did, by the way, was Destry Rides Again with Marlene Dietrich. Great stories about the two of them on that set. Google them, guys. It's fantastic. Anyway, um, you're going to have to pardon me now while I have a strange interlude. Great comedic performances don't tend to be valued in the same way as great dramatic performances are. Charlie Chaplin, for example, was only recognized by the Academy in 1972. And that was only because they felt bad for hounding him out of the country in the Red Scare of the early 50s. He got a 12 minute standing ovation when he collected his award. But that's a story for another time. It's irrelevant. One morning, actually, I shot an irrelevant in my pajamas. Uh, How he got in my pajamas, I don't know. When choosing my subject for tonight's Down the Pub, I went with my heart, with my gut. point. Dr. Yeah. Point. <laughs> Dr. Point. I went with my heart, my gut, and my upbringing. My nominee has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember and is responsible for much of the woman I've become. And anyone who says he can see through women is missing a lot. In case you haven't guessed, I'm pitching Groucho Marx as history's greatest actor. And if you've got a problem with that, you can leave in a half or you can leave in a minute and a half. In his first autobiography, Groucho and Me, Groucho writes, I was born at a very early age. Before I had time to regret it, I was four and a half years old. Age is not a particularly interesting subject. Anyone can get old. All you have to do is live long enough. However, for our purposes, let's record that Julius Henry Marx was born on the 2nd of October, 1890 in Manhattan. 
He grew up in a Yorkville Shangri-La on the Upper East Side with his Taylor father, a constant entrepreneur of varying degrees of success, his mother, four brothers, and his maternal grandparents. Leif and Fanny Schoenberg had been performers in Germany. He is a ventriloquist, and she is a harpist who yodeled while she played. Emigrating to the US when he was 50 and neither being able to speak a word of English, in Groucho's own words, for some curious reason, there seemed to be practically no demand for a German ventriloquist and a woman harpist who yodeled in a foreign language. Fanny stowed her harp away in a closet where it remained until her her grandson Adolf, later Arthur, later Harpo, discovered it and taught himself to play. It was Groucho's mother, Minnie, who ran the family, and coming from a performing family, it was only natural that she should look to her five boys and see some potential there. Adolf had taken to the harp like a duck to soup. Her eldest, Leonard, had been given piano lessons and could play well enough to entertain any pool room. It's quite sad to think, actually, that these lessons were a chore to Leonard, who had to be kept at his piano stool under watch of the broom-handle-wielding Minnie, whilst Adolf would jump into his place and practice unsupervised as soon as the stool was vacated. You see, lessons were 25 cents each, and the family didn't have enough money for both boys. Still, anyone who's seen Chico and Harpo Marx playing together will know that this all worked out for the best. Yes, the Marxes didn't have a lot of money. Julius had to leave school at 12 and get a job. This was not a well-to-do family. They were immigrants and they didn't have a lot of money. I feel like I need to just get that in because we've got a lot of adversity being overcome from my fellow competitors. And as Alex mentioned, I am competitive. I'm getting off track. I'm not crazy about reality, but it's the only place to get a decent meal. So what are you going to do? Julius had a good singing voice and Minnie had two younger sons to draft into the mix as well. They went into vaudeville and became something of a success. The act cast the brothers in recognisable roles that they reprised in situation after madcap situation. But look, we're going to get more on that later. They worked hard for years, but we're going to skip forward to Hollywood. Ah, my favourite place. And return to the point of my very flimsy pitch for Groucho Marx as history's greatest actor. With the coming of sound, producers needed performers who could talk on screen. It really was as simple as that. There are stories enough of big screen stars becoming obsolete overnight for having thick foreign accents, for just having horrible speaking voices, or for being unable to learn and perform large amounts of dialogue. This worked the other way too. Producers were looking to Broadway and hoovering up acting talent. It just so happened that in 1929, The Marx Brothers were closing a two-year run of their hit show Animal Crackers. The family travelled west and Groucho was called into a meeting with Paramount Studios who told him in no uncertain terms that his trademark grease paint moustache was not going to work. When he asked why, they explained, well, nobody's ever worn a black painted moustache on the screen. The audience isn't accustomed to anything as phony as that. Just won't believe it, kid. Groucho replied, the audience doesn't believe us anyhow. All they do is laugh at us. And that is what we're getting paid for. The audience didn't seem to care what kind of moustache he wore, so long as the jokes were funny. And the jokes were funny. The movies of the Marx Brothers are like watching comedy with ADHD. They're anarchic to the point of being unhinged. To try to explain these to listeners whose parents didn't raise them on this madness, um, it's a bit of a task. You've got Chico. So remember Leonard? who plays the piano but makes it hilarious with his fingers dancing as if they were made of rubber. And he speaks with an over-exaggerated Italian accent all the time, even though he's not Italian. 
And you've got Harpo, who plays the harp beautifully when he's not chasing girls, literally chasing them and never speaking a word. His performances bridge the gap between silent era slapstick and the world of the talking picture, which is now dominated by the wisecracking king of the one-liner that Groucho was to become. Herein lies my argument for Groucho Marx as history's greatest actor. He was the first wisecrack comedian, often imitated, never derivative. He's an icon that you may not even know that you know. His image is instantly recognisable as Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley or Superman. It just so happens that you know Groucho's face from penny stores, sunglasses, fake nose and moustache disguises. That's Groucho and I think he kind of would have loved that. The physical performance of Groucho is as iconic as the moustache and the wisecracks. His walk, all soft knees, poor posture and ill-fitting suits was a big part of the character that he created. This, again, is something we've seen time and time over from Woody Allen to Woody Woodpecker. The Marx Brothers made five films at Paramount, each one crazier than the last, as they moved away from their Broadway material into content developed for the screen. This run of movies culminated with Duck Soup, released in 1933, and I'm resisting the urge to get evangelical about this. Yes, I'm a lifelong Marxist. But if you watch just one scene after listening to me tonight, please make it the mirror scene. It's a simple setup. Harpo is dressed as Groucho in his nightshirt and grease paint moustache. And when he's caught by the real Groucho, he pretends to be his reflection in the mirror. What follows is a perfectly choreographed sequence of silent surrealism in which the brothers mirror each other's increasingly erratic movements, including switching places, which should give the game away when you're looking into a mirror, right? And Groucho's buying the whole thing until Chico walks in, also dressed in a nightshirt and a moustache. The fact that the brothers are physically similar makes this even better, and it's very easy to lose sight of the real Groucho in this cinematic three-card trick. After the relative success of Duck Soup, the brothers left Paramount for MGM after Chico met Irving Thalberg at a card game. Now, I don't have time to go into who Thalberg was or why this meeting was a big deal, but trust me when I say this was a thing. Thalberg offered to make a film with the Marx Brothers that would have a beginning, a middle and an end. When I say those early films are anarchic, I mean it. We're talking about the birth of comedy on talking film and everyone is trying to find their format. The two films that Thalberg produced with the Marx Brothers at MGM are rightly regarded as two of their best. While developing A Night in the Opera and A Day at the Races, Thalberg sent the brothers back out on tour. This gave them the opportunity to work on their set pieces for the movies with the feedback of a live audience, so the scripts could be refined and the film could be cut according to where the laughs came. The most lasting record of this success is the Sanity Clause routine, a double-hander exchange filmed simply with one camera, which goes right back to the earliest actors crawling from the primordial duck soup, throwing on a toga and stepping out on stage. I believe this scene is still being shown and taught in law schools today, right, Clive? Groucho and Chico are negotiating a contract, each one holding a copy. As they read through each clause of the contract, they agree to remove it and they rip away a strip of the paper that it's written on. By the end of the scene, they both have a tiny piece of paper remaining containing what Groucho explains is the standard, standard sanity clause. Chico's reply is, ha ha, you can't afford me. There ain't no sanity clause, which is hilarious. 
theatre stars into film, film stars into theatre, film scripts into theatre audiences, into film, into movie audiences. This is why I believe so strongly that Groucho Marx is the greatest actor that the world has ever seen, because he took to the screen at the most exciting moment in cinema's history and emblazoned himself upon it, shaping the rules for what we think of as funny today. The man who thinks he's clever revealed to be an idiot. The rubbish Lothario bumbling man of the world. The sophisticate shunned by those above him, crashing into their world and disturbing the peace, tearing apart the rules of class, politics and sex, all whilst wearing a grease paint moustache. Of the 13 films that the Marx Brothers made between 1929 and 1949, five of them were named in the American Film Institute's list of the 100 funniest films of the 20th century. And I know that we love a list here, so I am going to tell you what they were. The list was compiled in the millennium, and quite rightly topping the list is Some Like It Hot, and you know I'm not arguing with that. But Duck Soup was number five on that list. I'll put you out of your misery. Don't worry. I'd want to know as well. Number two was Tootsie. Again, another film that probably wouldn't get made today, but is brilliant. Three was Doctor Strangelove and Annie Hall came in at fourth. Duck Soup at number five placed one higher than Blazing Saddles. Okay, so this is worth knowing. Groucho wasn't recognised by the Academy until 1974. That's two years after Charlie Chaplin got his standing ovation. It was almost as if the judging panel realised their mistake in not recognising and rewarding excellence in comedy and wanted to honour these actors before it was too late. When the award was presented by Jack Lemmon, Groucho said how he wished that Chico and Harpo could have been there with him. They'd already gone. And this was to be Groucho's last, one of his last public appearances. He retired in 1976 and he died in 1977. Not that there's any sense getting upset about it. They were all gone before I was born. That's not stopped me from loving them and from inflicting them upon others. Groucho Marx was history's greatest actor, Your Honours. These are my principles. And if you don't like them, I have others. Thank you. Uh, Simon. Uh, yeah, strong, uh, strong, strong argument there. Um, it's an interesting one because uh, I do like What's the what's the one where they're all? I used to have the poster on my wall where they're all jammed into. Is it a night at the opera where they're all jammed into a room, a hotel room? Yeah, yeah, and the wisecracking and stuff like that. There is. We often talk, and there's a lot of talk at the moment about comedy that punches down, and I love the Marx Brothers and I love Groucho Marx because because of the stupid gags and the fact that those jokes still worked a lot of those jokes still work today and i'm and i didn't realize until you're talking about about what a massive fan i am i just quickly youtube the mirror scene which i remember seeing as a kid and just even then knowing that i was in the presence of greatness for them to be able to do that for them to be able to do that scene and it is interesting as well like you say that the glasses nose and moustache that sort of you can buy in any joke shop now that he must be he, the estate must be losing a fortune on that he, <laughs> you know that's that's what he gave to us I'm not familiar with enough of the work I was just looking and sort of 26 films of which 13 were made with his brothers and the fact that I sort of with Duck Soup Night in the Opera A Day at the Races they kind of meld into one for me and I, I'm 
I'm not familiar, not so familiar with him as an actor. And it's interesting because uh, Alex has thrown in the curveball of let's think of uh, who the greatest actor is in the last 10 years. And I wouldn't have thought of, I wouldn't have thought of, of saying him, but it's, but now that you've said it, it's kind of, you know, when I pontificate about it, you know, it's going to be a hard, whatever, whatever the choice is, him in that comic actor phase that you, we might, may have put David Jason, I would have said that David Jason was more versatile, but I don't know. There's something about Groucho Marx that I do absolutely love about him. I really do. And I, I think, as well, you know, he he influenced the, the Bugs Bunny and the, and the, a lot of stuff there. And I just saw as well, just a quick Google, that, you, you know, we didn't, he wasn't fated as much because when he died, Elvis had died three days before. So there wasn't all the, there weren't all these great, um, the great celebrations as, the, as there may have been. But I think it's a good choice, good choice. And it's really got me thinking. So uh, thank you for that. Holmes, are you familiar with the Marx Brothers? I'm not familiar with them at all, to be honest. I don't think I've ever seen a film, even clips. I was trying to think about yeah. when, I, when I was growing up, um, they quite often used to have black and white stuff on BBC Two in the. Yeah, very late at night, yeah. Yeah, or even at around six o'clock in sort of winter time. And, it, and there was Harold Lloyd and Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie and Chaplin. And Hardy. Yeah. And I think they were like films from the back in the day that were edited into half-hour segments. But I was trying to think whether I ever saw any Marx Brothers stuff in in that, in that those sort of circumstances. But I don't think I have. I mean, in terms of acting, were they not just really good at delivering the lines that they've written rather than portraying characters? The, the characters that they portrayed were, they were stock characters. So what the genius of Thalberg was, what he did was he said, okay, you got the rough, the wisecrack, you got the, the Italian gambler who's, you know, rubbish with the women. You've got the, the mute with all the funny sound effects who chases girls. And we, we're going to cast these as the heroes who save the day in a romantic comedy where they're not the romantic leads. So in the early ones, they, they had a younger brother called Zeppo who was handsome and he would play the romantic league. Uh, so there'd be good versus evil. There'd be baddies as well. And the, the Marx Brothers would save the day through their madcap antics. But the character of Groucho, he created from the stage and that was who he played. And he took that from film to film and on TV and in radio as well. But I didn't want to talk about all of because there's too much. There's just too much to talk about in one pitch. But, so he created this and he went with it. I mean, it's, it's you know, as Simon mentioned, you know, the fact that we all, I know what he looks like, despite probably never seeing his work, shows he must have had quite an influence. Oh, he absolutely did. I mean, this is this is the thing. I mean, I, I was brought up watching those those videos. So my dad would either sit up until two in the morning or learn to set the, the video recorder. It was probably easier to stay up in those days and record those old black and white films because his mum loved them. So my dad was a child of the fifties. So this was already old hat by the time my dad was watching movies, but his mum loved them and brought him up watching them. He brought us up watching them as well. So I didn't know as a child that I was watching old movies. I was just watching movies and uh, it's, it really gets in your, in your head and that comedy and it, you start seeing it echoed through so much that surrealist, it's and you watch it it's, it's so anarchic they are so anti-establishment they're so naughty it's brilliant stuff it's worth it's worth trying i said i wasn't going to get evangelical 
and you did, and we love <laughs> oh, you no, for no, it. No, right, okay. Let's go around the room then and find out uh, <clears throat> who's convinced you tonight if you can't have your own. But also as well, what you think is the best performance that an actor's turned in. We talked about a lot of older guys tonight. What's the best acting performance you think someone has turned in uh, in the last 10 years? So I'm going to go with Kate and David Jason, just because I'm going completely with my heart and not my head. And I'm going to say that the best acting performance of the last 10 years is David Oyelowo playing uh, a bloke from Oxford, playing Martin Luther King in Selma. He was phenomenal. Uh, Beth? Um... I'm I'm split between two, but if I had to force myself to pick one, I would probably have to go with Kit and Tom Hanks because I love Tom Hanks and he is just for me. He, regardless of what our judges said, I think he can portray those different characters, and he's got a wide wide breadth. Um, so I'd go with Kit and Tom Hanks, and for me. Personally, I don't watch very many, like, you know, <laughs> films that make you think, like, I don't, I like, like, I like to watch a film and just be entertained. But I think for me, the best performance personally was um, Benedict Cumberbatch in The Imitation Game was Alan Turing. I loved, I loved it. I really did love it. Kit just went, no! <laughs> I, retract, I, I can retract Kit. <laughs> I'm a science historian. I'm, I die a little when I see that bloody movie. Go on, why? Tell us. Because it's bollocks. It presents the, the kind of the idea of this lone genius sorting everything out. Bletchley Park was a fucking factory. I mean, it, I'm not, I can't even begin. There is a whole podcast, Alex. On the best sort of factory, some would say. <laughs> but nonetheless... I, are you debating that he was good in that? Oh, what, Cumberbatch? Yeah. Um, I thought it was a very affected performance, actually. I think Cumberbatch has been better in other things. I yeah. thought the person who really was good in that, which really surprised me, was Keira Knightley, um, who I never had really as a... I've never really rated her as an actress, but I thought she did very well in that movie. Uh, there you go, Beth. Partial vindication from Mr Science for you. Um... <laughs> But this was my point. This is what I started my pitch with. Everything is so subjective because for me, my favourite film is something that you will all laugh at me for because it's my favourite film and it's a Disney film. Because you'll laugh at me, but you'll all laugh at me. But that's why I'm saying why I started my pitch saying it's so subjective because how can someone be the greatest this or greatest that when my favourite film is actually Beauty and the Beast, where Yay. Charlie's film could be. You know, it, it, wait, it's wait, all animated subjective. or live action? Hmm? Animated. animated oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I, love, I, I really like the live action the, film. The live really action like, one's tripe. I like the live action one, but again, that's my point, isn't it? It's I like the live action one, but I know it's not as good as which, oddly enough, Ian McKellen's in as well. Um, <laughs> and but but someone else, people will laugh at me for saying my favorite Disney film. My favorite film is a Disney film. So oh. how, how can we say someone's the greatest, really? That's why Holmes and Simon have all the power. Oh, look <laughs> at them. They're going insane on it. Clive? I thought, actually, the best pitch tonight was the one for Sidney Poitier. As soon as he was mentioned, I thought, oh, my goodness, that's one I should have been thinking of mm. because he is probably the best of all the actors who have been mentioned 
tonight. As for the best actor in the last 10 years, I've been stretching my mind to find one specific performance. I can't think of what performance it is, but there is clearly one person who has stood out over the last 10 years. And he's been mentioned a few times tonight, Danny Dyer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, moving swiftly on, Chris. Um, It's difficult because I was going to do Tom Hanks because I don't think I've seen... a film where Tom Hanks hasn't been awesome. The film's been like Castaway. The film is shit, but Tom Hanks was awesome. But Sidney Poitier opposite Rod Steiger saying, "My name is Mr. Tibbs." It's just he was just phenomenal. So it has to be Poitier. And um, you're going to laugh at me for this. Recent films. This is 12 years old. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in 500 Days of Summer because it's genius. Because you actually, the first time you watch it, you're convinced that Tom is the good guy and that he's been wronged in this um, failed romance. And it's not until you watch it the second and third time you sort of think, hang on, no, the guy's a douchebag. But the whole scene <laughs> um, where he he goes on a date with um, Zoe de Chanel and it has two scenes running parallel of expectations of how he, he thinks the date's going to go and the reality of how the date goes, where he finds out actually she's engaged and she's not really that interested in him and he's not uh, he's not the center of attention or that great a person and he just storms out and leaves that whole scene is just phenomenal and i've been on that date so many times and it's um it's just a fantastic bit of film it is very subjective isn't it charlie this is killing me this is absolutely killing me trying to think of like the best performance from an actor in like the last 10 years i'm genuinely just going through the wikipedia for like who's won best oscars over the last 10 years, because I can't think of anything. All I can think of is the, the one that affected me the most in recent years, as in Ugly Cry, the two. One is, I can't spoil this for you, because I made it four fucking times, if you haven't seen it by now, when Bradley Cooper kills himself in um, A Star Is Born, that broke me. And then the kid in Jojo Rabbit broke me as well. So I've got terrible taste. I watch too many old movies, and I can't think <laughs> in recent times I've enjoyed enough uh heather i have no problem with twister being one of the greatest but i must have seen it about 30 times i still want to go to an thing you wear that like a badge of honor as your favorite film uh but who would you have gone for tonight if you couldn't have sydney poitier i liked clive's and chris's i i just clive sold me and then of course christopher lee i i, I just like him <laughs> good And the best performance you've seen in the last 10 years? Probably going to laugh at me, but I loved Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. Oh. There was a big gap in the middle where he was obviously smacked off his tits, but he's another absolutely fine actor. I just like the more Marvel films they do, though, the more I'm like, yeah, it's just kind of chipping away at the respect I have for you at this point. Uh, Kate? Um, So. Oh, Dick Cheney. Yeah, good. good (laughs) Simply because I, yeah, I felt like Christopher Lee, uh, Ian McKellen, and Tom Hanks all fell into that thing of playing themselves too often, or or not, or being remember memorable as the actor, not the character. Um, I've not seen anything with Sidney Poitier in it. I've heard of him, but I don't know who the fuck he is. And Clive lost me with Come a Bunch because. 
I love Benedict Cumberbatch. And now I will never be able to see him in anything ever again without thinking of Cumberbatch. Thanks, Clive. (laughs) So simply for the Queen connection, because I fucking love Freddie Mercury so much. And if it was good enough for him to name two albums after, then Charlie, you get my vote because Groucho Marx must have been good. Outstanding. Uh, and the last Remy. 10 years, are you therefore going to go for Remy Malik playing Freddie Mercury? Oh, God, no. I'm <laughs> going for something infinitely worse by everyone's vote. I know you'll all hate me for it, but he must have done at least 20 films in the last decade that have not been too bad. Dark Knight Rises, Lawless, Revenant, Mad Max, Venom in Venom, and he was the infinite, the infamous um, set of twins in Legend. Alfie Solomon's in Peaky Blinders, himself in CBB's Bedtime Stories. Maybe I should keep that to myself. And his own creation, the grunting James Delaney in Taboo. It is Tom Hardy. I know. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Tom Hardy. Thinking with the wrong end of your anatomy there, <laughs> potentially, but we won't judge you for it because um, <clears throat> I'm just as bad. Right. Okay. I think Sydney Poitier is a really good shout. Yeah. Um, and actually, Charlie, you didn't say it out loud, but that was your pick as well. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't really thought about uh, actors sort of. There's a period in sort of like the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s where I, I, I almost, it's beyond the golden age. Uh, and you do have some actors there that, that sort of have stood the test of time. Someone else I had on my list was Jack Nicholson, um, who does often play Jack Nicholson, but he does have variety and he can do very in-depth nuance. Um, but Sidney Poitier is a great shout. Um, as it comes to the last 10 years, see, it's really annoying because I would have definitely gone for um, Idris Elba in The Wire, but that's 15 years. Yeah. So... Um, um, I, I'm torn. I mean, there's so many. Daniel Kaluuya um, in um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah was just hypnotic. Um, but I think I'd probably go for Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad, maybe. Um, I thought he was just terrific in that. Uh, Bob Odenkirk in um, Better Call Saul. It's, it's really in TV. Um, but I think the pick I'm going to go for um, is Jared Harris in Chernobyl. Um, he just stole every scene he was in. I like it. Right. <coughs> let's go to our judges, if I can not choke before we do that. Uh, let's go to Holmes first. Holmes, you mentioned uh, another performance, but last 10 years. If obviously I'd go Idris Elba, if I could go 12 years back and Pacific Rim, because that is the finest film that has ever, ever been made. That moment when he picks up an oil tanker and uses it as a baseball bat to beat the alien with, is just there is no final moment in cinematic history. Holmes, last 10 years, best performance. And also, sorry, just that one line as well. Tonight we are cancelling the apocalypse. Epic. Go on, Holmes. The the problem with Pacific Rim isn't Pacific Rim, which I quite enjoyed. It's it's the second one, which is absolute horseshit. I don't I don't care. It's got Scott Eastwood in it and giant ro- giant robots and giant <laughs> aliens beating the shit out of each other. I think I've seen it 36 times. But anyway. it, it's in terms of the best I don't know if it's the best performance, but it's a performance I've enjoyed more than any than anything I can remember. And Kate's already mentioned it, but Tom Hardy portrayal as Alfie Solomon's in Peaky Blinders. I just love that. 
If I, I hadn't heard disapp- so much about Tom Hardy being a complete knob, though, I might value his acting high. Also, as well, I have real problems with calling that film about the craze legend when they were just. We've heard my take on the craze on another on the well. Word I, family, I mean, I was it? I was quite specific with the role, I think, but he was yeah. just. I was always a little bit sad when his scene ended. In, in, when he was in Peaky Blinders. You know, I hope he comes back in the next episode. He's absolutely brilliant. Didn't he come back already? Did I imagine that? Might have. Well, I was sort of, I was trying to steer away from spoiler territory, but yeah. Well, it's all <laughs> that massively way. stepped into spoiler territory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a while. So... I mean, I came to it late, so presumably everyone who's seen it now has seen it. Yeah, it's always been out for like, what, like two years now? Spoilers. Yeah. Right. Uh, Simon, your best performance of the last 10 years? Uh, it's, re- it's really, really difficult. I mean, I, I, for somebody who's only made 20 films, really, yeah, he's made 20 films. I think film for film, Daniel Day-Lewis is still the greatest actor that that we have, and I will fight anybody who, who says otherwise. Um and then again, just looking at it, I can't have James Gandolfini. I watched The Sopranos all the way through lockdown again. And uh, I mean, amazing performances, but that's over 20 years. Can't have Brando, can't have De Niro, can't have Denzel Washington. So I am going to pump for a man who just won an Oscar in his 80s. And that's Anthony Hopkins. I think that uh, if you've seen The Father and then you go back and look at Silence of the Lambs and even have a, a have a look at sort of the mainly cameos that he's done in between. He's somebody with an amazing range and that I do not have a problem with him at all. I don't, I didn't have a problem with him uh, winning over Chadwick Boseman. I thought that the, the father is an amazing performance by an amazing actor. And, and so I really like that. We haven't talked about the, uh, <laughs> Oh, I've written here as well. Ray finds in um, the uh, Grand Budapest Hotel because um, I never really imagined Ray finds as a comic actor, and I thought that was genius. If we had to talk about the women, which I know we're not allowed to, Kate Winslet in Mayor of Easttown was an amazing performance that we saw last year. You've got to go for Meryl Streep, Charlize Theron in the Mad Max film, which I thought was brilliant. But the ones that who always deliver for me, uh, Susan Sarandon, Jodie Foster and uh, Julianne Moore. I would crawl over broken glass uh, just to stick matchsticks in Julianne Moore's poo. poo. Ah, but we have some judging to do, don't we? <laughs> hey, everyone needs a hobby. <laughs> there's no judging in this room you are surrounded by fellow nerds and weirdos uh yeah judges go for it judge uh so uh holmes and i i've always wanted to do that so i sound like dr watson <laughs> uh holmes and i um well you know what very very strong starts very strong starts and very well argued by everybody and it is really difficult kind of going for those actors who i think everybody knows um always kind of not always but they deliver a performance where they are quintessentially that actor so you know the the groucho marxes and the christopher lees and the ian mckellen and the tom hanks is really really good brave choices and the reason that you like them is because you always know you're gonna they're gonna deliver for you you're always gonna get what it is that they give and what you like so much so i i I kind of applaud you for picking that i mean i love gregory peck but gregory peck is always gregory peck you know he is he always was atticus finchin and that's what he always would be even in the guns of navarone so um 
we came in at number three, our third choice, and I think a really good choice as well, because there weren't many TV actors that sort of bandied around, was David Jason. Um, it's a good choice there, I think, you know, just the range and everything else. So round of applause for David Jason. Thank you. <laughs> I love him. He's my favourite person in the world. There you go. Um, number two, um, Kicks off very strong and Clive with uh, Garrick. Um, really, really interesting performance. And I think this, uh, uh, Clive, if I ever do need uh, a lawyer, I'm definitely calling you because we had no evidence to go on, yet you convinced us as a jury quite decisively there that um, with your with your arguments, with both your uh, opening arguments and your summing up. But well, you know what they say, that if you're weak on the law, argue the facts. If you're weak on the facts, argue the law. If you're weak on both, abuse the other side. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, Clive, where did do, where do doing voices fit into that? Is that the next stage? Yeah, that's the next, that's one beyond. <laughs> when you've <laughs> lost all hope. And of course, uh, just to remind you that when they say that, they do, of course, mean Clive. um but the but the winner and um yeah i mean really really a great choice and well argued and obviously an actor who kind of does everything uh, i nearly said delivers in spades then but uh, only i can get away with that joke an actor who um (laughs) who really you know he does that thing where he delivers in a way that the christopher lees and everything else do you do know what you're going to get but also you look at the performances when he was younger um, as well. And he was so versatile and then still managing sort of to turn in sort of great cameos now at 94 years old. And we had to give it to Sidney Poitier. Um, really good choice. Really good choice. And um, yeah, well-deserved, I think. That's Heather's first victory, isn't it? Yep. Yay! Nice one, Heather. Thank you. Well done. Oh, that's brilliant. And you're having a really shitty week as well. So well done pulling that out and <laughs> smashing it home. Oh. I love the way of like kind of spending three hours with, with a bunch of mental uh <laughs> mental people from the UK is what you consider to be. Well, this will make your week this will make your week better. And it's only she, Monday. She's rushed home from work for this. But <laughs> she's under no illusions now. She's been over here and hung out with us. So I mean there, there's no there's no nowhere for us to hide. She knows all of our dirty laundry now, knows exactly how weird we all are. Uh, guys, thank you very much for joining us to debate history's greatest actor. Uh, I did b- block you from doing women because I have promised you we will do actresses as well because I really, and more than anything, I really want to hear Heather argue for Angela Lansbury, which I know she plans to do. Uh, <laughs> so we will get to that eventually. Cannot remember what the next topic is, uh, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks. When our guests join us to talk about their work in their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support and here's to your next great book. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.